Hi. <laughs> Welcome to the McCappy Fries Movie Podcast. I'm Ian. I'm Gavin. Uh, we're a movie podcast where we talk about some movies and do reviews and take your emails. It's a very uh, review-heavy show this uh, this time around. We've got reviews of A Walk Among the Tombstones, uh, the Liam Neeson film Predestination. Uh, we're going to be talking about Birdman. Yep. I'll talk about A Most Violent Year, the J.C. Chandler movie with Oscar Isaac and Jessica Chastain in it. And I'll also be reviewing the Michael Bay-produced Project Almanac. Um, Ian also saw Black Hat, but he says it's not worth talking about. <laughs> we, got, we got a big show, you know. And it's, you that's, know right, that's right, that's right. People got a Super Bowl to get to. Black Hat, continuing the uh, tradition of uh, Hollywood films shot in Malaysia that make no money. Yeah. <laughs> It's uh, Malaysia is is crypt- is kryptonite to any Hollywood film that shoots here. No Hollywood film that is, that is shot here has been a hit. Wasn't Entrapment okay? Entrapment was? Entrapment made a little bit of money, but it yeah. wasn't a hit. It mm. was it wasn't a massive success, and it also wasn't very good. But also, okay, I'll I'll give it a review later. But it's not down to the locations, is that? It's not oh no no no! Yeah, I mean like uh, the reason these movies you know these these movies don't bomb because Malaysia's yeah. featured in them. They they're just not very good. Yeah. So, we'll kick off with some news. Uh, before we get into the news, I, w- I would say, so we are now available on Stitcher. And also, if you want to keep up to date with the podcast, we now have a Twitter account. That's right. It's at McGeffyFries. Um, no.com. Um, and, of course, as usual, we do have a Facebook page you can find us on as well. Those are generally, we don't spam stuff, we generally just say when the podcast is out and like right. to send us questions. And, it, and if any of you want to send us any shit, you want to tell us what a horrible job we're doing, or you want to call us names or whatever, you can email us at podcast at com. That's podcast at com. Yeah. Yeah. So. So, jumping straight into news, um, with Roberto Orki off the directing chair for Star Trek Three. Yep. He's now not really doing that much writing either. No. Uh, Simon Pegg is going to be co-writing the script with... Uh, who, who's he co-writing it with? Doug Jung. Yes, that's right. Is it Jung or Young? Young, sorry. Young. Young. Um, <clears throat> well, Babylon 5 is a pile of shit. <laughs> if you get some space references in there, I'm happy. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what he does. I'm sure that he's happy as a pig and shit that he's writing this. I mean, this is the, the yeah. ultimate ultimate geek dream. And Justin Lin was uh, confirmed to uh, take over from J.J. Abrams because J.J. Abrams is busy with this other small little independent film that he's making. Yeah. Um, well, we'll see. I mean, at this point, you know, I mean, I didn't mind part two, but I thought part two was good uh, on a first viewing. On a second viewing, um, I had a fair amount of issues with it, but it was still an entertaining film, so we'll see. I mean, I still find them comfort viewing. I can sit there when I have a, when I have a cold or flu and I'll watch the Star Trek. Yeah, movies. I mean, that's what the Star Trek movies are for me. I mean, like yeah. it's like especially the new ones. The new ones are it's you know it's it's not exactly essential viewing. I mean, no. you know, I'll, I'll watch it at some point, but it's not going to kill me. When you're suffering from numb pump. Yeah, that's right. Which is fairly often. But what was the last thing Peg wrote? Uh, the World's End? Yeah, that was the last He wrote that with Edgar Wright. Yes, yeah, yes, I mean, before yes. that he wrote um, Paul with... With uh, Nick Frost. Nick Frost. And, um, and he didn't write Run, Fat Boy Run, but he did a major... Rewrite? A major rewrite, really? yeah. yeah. Okay, I didn't yeah. know that. That's cool. Um, so I was listening to the Julian Anderson Nerdist podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, they started. They wanted to start an X-Files 2015 hashtag, mm-hmm. and it looks like this got some traction. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, it looks like it may actually come back as um, a limited series. Yeah. Which I think is the way to go. Because um, yeah. if they're going to continue to do films like the last one they did... Um, it's, I didn't even watch the second one. Uh, yeah, and, I mean, but, uh, you know, for those of you who have been following us since day one, which is like none of you, uh, <laughs> you'll, you'll know that that was the very first movie that... Um, I reviewed on the first episode. Was, was it? Yeah, yeah, it was uh, X-Files, I want to believe, and I was very... The first one. The, our very first episode yeah. was uh, 
I can't remember what you reviewed, but I reviewed X Files, and, and I was really pissed off by it. I, yeah, you know, it's like, well, what did I? I compared it to. Um, it's like, it's like um, if some guy like makes you watch a video of your ex girlfriend yeah. or something. <laughs> Wasn't that Superman Returns? No, 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 no. That was X Files. That was Titanic Su- with capes. Superman Returns was Titanic with capes. Yeah, I just you see, the thing a, with, a cape. The problem with the first movie was it was the TV show. Like, those movies have to advance the story more than Mulder sees yet another UFO yeah. and Scully's knocked out in yeah, the snow. The first movie was it was essentially um, an extension of the TV show, but that's what I liked about it. And the movie came out at the right time. The movie came out when the show was still yeah. still pretty damn big and the show wasn't over yet. There was still something to continue off to. Um, I wonder, did his, is David Duchovny's character die in Twin Peaks? I can't remember, actually. Now that I know that... Um, the Twin Peaks is coming back. I really need to uh, rewatch Twin Peaks because mm. there's a lot about there's a lot about Twin Peaks that I don't remember. I remember a lot of the imagery, and I remember some of the one-liners. But you know, there's there's a lot of um, a lot of stuff about the actual show because mm. it came out years ago, and I was, you know, I mean, it was, yeah, well, we, I was we weren't allowed to watch it because it was yeah, too weird yeah, at the time. Yeah, we watched it uh, two years a uh, year or two ago. We started we got about halfway through the first season before Game of Thrones or something. Yeah, like, yeah, and we were just tripping out. Yeah, because I was amazed at how funny it was. I didn't realize, because when it came out, you were teenagers. And yeah, when, when, when it came out when, when we were kids, it was like, uh, this is disturbing shit. Yeah, but now I was just laughing the whole way through it, almost. Yeah. There's still some disturbing shit in there, but uh, yeah, that still comes back next year, right? Yeah, yeah. No, but I'm very happy about that, because I, I was a huge X-Files fan when it was on, and you know I still have very fond memories about the show, I just don't have fond memories about the last movie, so I'm yeah. very glad that this is happening. I hope, I I hope still- it does happen, because it's not confirmed, right? Um, it's not confirmed. I mean, it looks like it's going to happen, but it's not confirmed, right? It's up. There was updated deadline. Updated it so that it was like the Fox TV group chairman Gary Newman confirmed that uh, they're in talks for a new installment. They said, right. starring David Coveney. There's something weird about the report. Like they've been, they've been looking at logistical ones, looking for windows for them when they can be available. But there was something else about a possible reboot in the summer, like a separate reboot. Mm-hmm. So that, the, the the deadline story wasn't very clear on that whether that would be separate or not. Right. But uh, if you're living in Malaysia, HTV is showing the X-Files on TV right now. Oh, it is? Yeah, the first episode was on a while ago. And yes, like the movie, Scully gets bonked on the head and misses out seeing the light. <laughs> so while Alex Garland has been doing his um, press run for his movie, X-Machina, which sounds like it's getting really, really good reviews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The reviews have been very, very good. Um, another movie that's going to be hard to review because apparently you can't talk about half of it. <laughs> Right. Yeah, but he has been talking that he was interested with that. They have an idea with Danny Boyle and the producer yeah, for like, uh, twenty for... months later. Yeah, yeah. So the second one was good. I mean, the second one was those kids were fucking annoying. I I never saw the second one. I, I only saw I only saw the first one. It's okay. It's just that there's, there's annoying kids in it, and they kind of they cause a lot of the problems. It's funny because I really liked I really liked Twenty Eight Days Later, but for mm. some bizarre reason, I just you know it was it was one of those films that seemed. You know, I was quite happy to have it end there. Right? Yeah. I wasn't particularly interested in in seeing how they continued it. Although I heard the second one was actually not was actually all right. Yeah, twenty eight weeks later was actually was actually a good movie. Yeah. And some sad news: um, Fox is rebooting Escape from LA again. Yeah, but I mean, the only silver lining on this is that uh, John Carpenter is like staying on board as a creative consultant. Mm. You know, he was also didn't, did he direct Escape from New York? He did, and he also directed Sorry, Escape from L.A. Escape from New York, they're going to reboot, not Escape from L.A. That yeah, was yeah, one. yeah. So, yeah. I mean... Now, you know, he, uh, he directed both of those films. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm actually a little bit of a Escape from L.A. apologist. Really? Yeah, I... You know, it's nowhere near as good 
I think, but, I, I think, I think, but, I think yeah. the photo accompanying this news was just snake on the surfboard shot, which looks yeah. terrible. It's a terrible yeah. bad no, CGI no, I mean, shot. That's a, the, the visual effects in, in that bit were not great at all. But what I liked about Escape from L.A. is that it actually is a proper sequel mm. in the sense that everything that you kind of liked about Escape from New York is there, mm. you know, like down to the, the, the dated soundtrack and the, you know, the, even the dialogue. It, it feels like a movie that was made in, at the same time as mm. Escape from New York. And that's what I really like about it. Uh, but that's also what a lot of people didn't like about it, yeah. because... You it was know, like it was trapped in amber. Something like that. I mean, Escape from New York was very much a product of its time, and, you know, it had this very nice sort of, like, exploitation sort of feel, and they wanted to do the same thing with Escape from L.A. And the fact that they kind of succeeded is actually what went against it. Mm. They should have updated it the way that, you know, in, in the same way. But this is like, everything was the same. Yeah. Everything was the same, even, even down to the effects work. The effects work looked the same as Escape from New York. But I really liked that about it. Wow. I mean, I only caught that movie in snippets on TV over the years, so... And if you watch Escape from L.A., the way it starts and the way that he goes to L.A. is done almost beat for beat exactly the same way yeah. he went, you know, that, uh, that he was sent to New York. I think I remember that. Even yeah. down to the, the sort of really bad um, computer graphics map of L.A. Yeah. It's exactly the same as, as New York. Wasn't that just, like, with the... I think I remember hearing the, 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 the hang glider sequence. They actually just, like... They painted it, they rotoscoped it, or something like that, or it was like they actually just they built a little small st- a little small thing and lit it, and they just camera yeah. on it. Like yeah. it was a really, really. It was a very like low low budget way of doing low, low budget effects. way of doing it. Um, but uh, no, I mean like uh, yeah, I mean it's like I said, it's not as good as New York, but I still actually kind of enjoyed it. Mm. Although that bit with Peter Fonda is stupid <laughs> with the wave. Yeah, the, the surfing bit was really stupid, and yeah. and, the, and the villain George Cos- Cosmatos, whatever his name is, I mean, he was just a waste of space. He's a barrier wearing loser, wasn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it was a really weak. And villain. the president's daughter was—you can sneeze, it's okay. Yeah, it was a really weak villain, as opposed to Escape from New York, that had a very cool villain. You had Isaac Hayes. Yes, you know, and you had Donald Pleasance. And you had that car with chandeliers on the front. That's right. If you, I mean, if you have any any John Carpenter movie that doesn't have Donald Pleasance, yeah, you know, it's it's not going to work. But didn't he die at the end of the first one? No, no, he didn't die. He was the president. He was the right? president. He was a little Weasley shitbag. Yeah. He didn't die. He just lost control of everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, but in, what was cool about Escape from L.A. is that it's a really bleak ending. Mm. They, he sends them back to the Stone Age. Oh, it's yeah. like he's got that device. It's like, you know, like if you, if you press the button on this device, you'll send everyone back to the Stone Age. Technology will have to start. It's like an EMP or something. Yeah, technology across the, across the world will like have to... I can't remember if it was across the world or across the country. They, they, will, they will be starting... From scratch. Yeah. And so he just... Pushes the button. He sent them back to the stone. He pushes the button and he walks. Pu- he, he, he turn around or something, right? He, he pushes, pushes it. The- because, like, uh, everything's everything's illegal back then. It's like, yeah. you know, no smoking, no red meat, no, none of that. So he, uh, he's, he pressed the button, sent them back, sent technology back to the Stone Age, and then lit up a cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> Bliskin. Call me Snake. <laughs> <laughs> We got a bumper crop of trailers this week as well. Again, the moment we start delaying podcasts, more and more trailers keep popping up. Yep. First of all, we have the uh, Avengers Age of Ultron trailer 2, which just looks like an, like following on exactly from the first one. Even to, I mean, we get it. The uh, Pinocchio thing is getting a bit wearing. Well, I mean, there's nothing wrong with the trailers, except that they are basically just extensions of the first one. There's nothing yeah. really different. You might have a couple of extra shots, but... Uh, they only get two trailers on this show, and they've wasted their second opportunity. Well, yeah, well, you know, because we're totally not going to see it. No. <laughs> uh, but what I do like about it, um, like, what I do appreciate about what they're doing is that you, we've still yet to see anything with the vision. Yes. And I like that. Yeah. 
Um, and Marvel seems to be very confident that everyone's going to flip for uh, for the Vision. And every time anyone asks Paul Bettany about it in relation, in relation to other movies he's working on, like Mordecai or whatever, he's like, well, I could say getting in the suit and all that kind of stuff, but literally I, I, I have a feeling that like a red dot will appear on my forehead and a Marvel sniper will take me out. <laughs> Probably. Probably. But he was also saying that he has he signed on for more stuff. Yeah. And there's gonna be there's gonna be a lot more vision stuff coming up, and that has given him the opportunity to be a lot more picky. Yes. With projects. Yeah. So Did you hear I heard this on another podcast, I think he did a movie called Shelter. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of this? He directed yeah. it and wrote it? No. Apparently when he was living in New York with his family, <laughs> there was two homeless people he used to see outside his house every time, every mm-hmm. day. And he tried to engage them a few <laughs> times, but they were they were spooked off a lot. And when Hurricane Katrina hit they moved off, mm-hmm. and he never saw them again after that. So it kind of inspired him to do a movie about homeless people. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's see. It was during um, interviews for Mordecai. You know, which I, I hear is absolutely atrocious. Yes. Um, There's another uh, movie about uh, that's focusing on homeless people. Uh, it's a Richard Gere film called Time Out of Mind. Mm-hmm. That uh, I think it debuted at Venice or Toronto last year, and uh, the general consensus is that the movie's not great, but he is. Okay. It's like, because he plays a homeless man, and apparently he's really good in it, but apparently the movie itself is yeah. meandering and doesn't really have much of a point. Mm. Um, but but one interesting story about that is that while he was shooting the film, people actually did give him money. Really? Like, people actually went up to him and, like, offered him, like, a slice of pizza or something. Like, they thought, they didn't recognize him at all. Oh, shit, I forgot I was going to review Under the Skin, because that was similar. I'll do it next time, but that Under the Skin, like, Scarlett yeah, yeah, Johansson Scarlett was Jared. actually just driving around in a white van, and some of the reactions of people are for real. Right, right, right. Because she's always just asking people, like, she's the worst alien abductor ever, and that she's just asking people for directions, and then, like, really obviously asking them, like, are you going that way? Hop in! You know, it's just, it's really off. Yeah. And she was doing it with just, like, lots of guys all over Glasgow or Edinburgh, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Which is the last place you expect to see Scarlett Johansson in a white van. Yeah. <laughs> the white, I know, like a Ford fucking Transit. It's like, what the fuck? Uh, I have a lot of um, fond memories of riding along in a white van. Yeah? Yeah, back in back in the day when I used to sell and deliver pine furniture in, in London. In that size of a van? Uh... Well, I haven't seen the film, so I don't know. It's a, oh, it's, a, it's a four transit. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a yeah. big. Yeah, well, you, you had to put the. You had, you had to fit all those like you know chest of drawers and in the back, you know, and all, all the all the, the three piece wardrobes and all that shit. What you need, man? Yeah, is an orange fucking lorry. <laughs> you deliver beds in an orange lorry. <laughs> we're, we're having a dick measuring contest over the size of our delivery one, vehicles. One of the funniest bits is like uh, the guy Andy was driving the driving the van. He backed up into one of those. He backed up into a stop sign. Oh god! And he turned around and he was like, "Who the fuck put that?" <laughs> <laughs> We used to deliver uh, beds on it. It was a big fuck off, like forty foot truck, yeah, thirty foot yeah. truck. So yeah. get a lot of beds in there. And uh, the driver would occasionally, you know, halfway through the day. I've, I've never her. put I've never put a bed together ever since I stopped doing that job. <laughs> ever since then, I'm like pay the man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> I've not had to carry a five foot six mattress up sixteen flights of stairs either. It's kind of like how you would imagine like actors just never ever want to carry a tray ever. Yeah. They just don't ever They just take off them. <laughs> Although uh, now actors are not no longer waiters. Like now the in job for uh, struggling actors is Uber driver. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, know, I didn't know struggling actors could afford cars. I suppose in the US anyone could afford a car. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cars are cheap in the States. Yeah. yeah. And they're just hoping for the hotshot executive to get in the back and say, have you read my script? Have you read my script? <laughs> yeah. And this is so totally not about movies. That's... Yeah, well, kind of. Yeah, loosely connected. Uh, someone who has used their second chance for the trailer, second chance on the Capital Fries for the trailer, is the Chappie trailer. Yes. 
which is very different from the first. The first all plays up the Johnny Five-ness of Chappie. Yeah, I'm ki- I'm ki- I kind of regret watching the second trailer, actually. Really? Yeah, I mean, not that it's a bad trailer. Yeah. I, you know, that's just an element of the story I would have been quite happy to not know. At 209. Yeah, you know, yeah. like how it, there, there is like a Robocop angle to it. You know, eh? Yeah, it's like Didn't... Hugh Jackson has a giant walking tank. Although Hugh Jackman's hair is amazing. He's got amazing mullet, right? He's got a great mullet. And his accent, is he doing Australian or South African? In the I thing? don't know, I can't it's tell. It's weird. I can't tell. I think it's... Because even his Australian is kind of weird. Like yeah. when I when I saw when I saw Australia, it's like his accent was his and Nicole Kidman's Australian accent were bizarre. Really? Yeah. Cause like maybe it's maybe it was actually pretty accurate. But For the time, or you're something. just so used to Australia. You know, you're just so used to hearing them. You know, go all Hollywood now that when you hear them speak in their native tongue, you're just like, huh? Yeah, it's weird. <sighs> is you, do you still say native tongue if it's an accent and not a language? Yeah. Is it like native accent? You could say yeah, native tongue. Native yeah. tongue. Well, still using the same organ. Mm. <laughs> no, but it look. I mean, it looks. It plays up a lot more the Robocop 2014 yes. vibe of it. Like yes. there's a lot of chappies out there, and there's yes. a lot more on the run stuff yeah. going on, a bit more action and stuff like that. Yeah, and like Hugh Jackman's like the guy who hates robots. Yeah, and he's just trying to put them away. And dresses like Ready Ready Piper for some reason. Yeah, a lot yeah. of plaid in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, Can you I, imagine like the scene that guy on TV? Because he's on TV as an anti-robot um, or anti-AI guy, and he's on TV. And he just looks like you know, he packed his Ute around the back. I know, I know. It's a furniture. He looks, he looks like a low-rent like carpenter or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's like really, from the eighties. Yeah. <laughs> really bizarre. It looks like an extra from Neighbors. Uh, Mike from Neighbors. And also the uh, Fantastic Four trailer. Yes. Uh, debuted. Well, teaser. Yeah. Teaser. I have to keep watching this because I keep forgetting about it. Because <laughs> it's. Kind of like, it's it's like slow. Who is giving the voiceover? Because it's not anyone's voice. I don't know. It, it actually, every time I hear that fucking trailer, it, uh, that, that trailer voice, it actually sounds like a local voice talent. This uh, this English guy who lives here called Mike Swift. Right. And he does like... Free plug. Yeah. You know, he do, you know he's, he's a... You know, you've heard... If, if you live in Malaysia and you listen to the radio, you've heard his fucking voice. He yeah. does like tons of stuff. Well, not so much these days, but at one point he did a lot of stuff. And, it, and, and the guy who does the narration on the Fantastic Four teaser sounds so much like him. So it really bugs me when I hear it. It's like, it's like Mike, you've been holding out on me, man. Next round's on you if you're in fucking doing Fantastic Four. But um, you know what? It was, it, was, it was one of those things because everyone has been talking shit about this film. Yes. Everyone. Ever since they cast Michael B. Jordan as the Johnny Storm? Ever since they announced, ever since they announced that they were going to reboot it, people were just reacting negatively primarily because Fox was doing it and the rights were not going back to Marvel. Yeah. That was the initial anger is that, you know, it's like how many, how many, mov- how many Fantastic Four movies do they, do they need to do before it finally goes back to the people who can do it right? Yeah. You know, they did How much same. of a loss do Sony have to, not Sony, Fox have to make before they decide to do a deal, same with Sony and Spider-Man, before they decide to do a deal with Marvel that says like, look, 50-50? Yeah. Yeah. So... And then they hired Josh Trank, and then there was uh, who directed Chronicle, and then there were rumors going around that uh, the new movie was going to be done in a similar style to Chronicle. It was going to be like a found footage type of thing. Um, now, having seen Chronicle, I you know I, I enjoyed the film. I thought it was as far as um, as, as far as ha- uh, found footage movies goes, uh, I thought it was quite nicely done in the mm-hmm. sense that um, they figured out a way to do it without doing the whole shaky cam found footage thing. Yeah, and that I appreciated that. And they also did a thing that you don't usually see in that they used that to stage big action set pieces yes. that were like the scene where they're flying through the clouds and yes. they're, pl- they're throwing an American football around. Yeah. That's genius. Yeah. That's using found footage in a new and interesting way. Yeah. And I, I enjoyed Chronicle but when it came out We'll get to more on this on Project Almanac because fuck that movie but anyway. Okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> a little preview there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what I think, yeah, people went apeshit when when somebody reported it was a bogus. I mean, based on the teaser, it was clearly a bogus report. So it was probably Latino Review or something. Um, and uh, people lost their shit because they were like, "Oh, for fuck's sake!" You know, like found footage. Are you crazy? Yeah. And then Josh Trank also went on record saying that um, his his visual sort of uh, influence for the film was David Cronenberg. Mm. Which made things very interesting. And um, watching the teaser, you can see that. Yeah, I didn't hear that, but that there, makes sense. Yeah. There is a li- there is definitely a, a Cronenberg. It's very muted. There is a definitely a Cronenberg vibe. Yeah. Um, and I liked the teaser. Yeah. There, there's not enough in there to talk shit about. But there is quite a lot. I mean, there's a lot of like, you know, there's a shot of a car driving through corn. Or driving past the cornfield. And so, and then, so, but that's what I mean. What's that got to do with the Fantastic Four? They live in New York and fight mole men, for God's sake. But there's no reason why there can't be... Su- no, I mean, like, I think... Also, the, the teaser has a very strong interstellar vibe. Mm. A very strong interstellar vibe. Are they going... Because that doesn't look like a rocket ship they're building, so are they going to the negative zone and that's where shit happens? The negative zone's a, a yeah. Fantastic Four thing, right? The yes, Phantom Zone yes. Superman. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, yeah, uh, Phantom Zone is where they send prisoners, like, you know, mm. like, uh, yeah... Fucking Zod and all those guys. Yeah, whereas Negative Zone is where the Fantastic Four disappear for a couple of weeks and yes. get someone to mind the kids. Yes, yes, yeah. that's right. Uh, so it looks like it looks like that. That's how they're doing it. Mm-hmm. It does. Um, and I don't really have an issue with that. I mean, I don't mind if you if you change things around as long as you can come up with a cool way to do it and keep. I think and keep the core of like. I mean, and the other movies. The other movies did have that element of goofy fun down. I thought. I mean, I I always felt that the Tim Story ones got unnecessarily mauled. You know, by yeah. by critics. I mean, like, uh, I mean, they're not, they're by no means masterpieces, not no. at all. But the Fantastic Four comics that I grew up reading were kind of like that. Yeah, they were, they were family. They were. F- it's family fun. It's yeah. family fun. It's you not know? fucking Batman. They're 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 Marvel's first family. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's their thing. Yeah, <laughs> it, uh, they're a dysfunctional family. Yeah. And I thought, that- I think the second one. Um- you know, Johnny Storm throwing fireballs at the thing's yeah, head. That's, yeah. that's Fantastic Four for me. Yeah, and there were a lot of things about the Tim Story films that I felt fit. I think, yeah, I think Yon, 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 Fans? Reese Fans. Reese Fans. He looked great, Mr. Fantastic. I thought Michael Chiklis was great. Uh, Owen Grufford. Owen Grufford. That's one of those Welsh fuckers. Reese Fans was the lizard. Ah, that's right. <laughs> and there's another one, yeah. Um, on, you know, on Grifford? Grifford, right. Oh, that's I've never, I've never, oh, right. I've never heard that word, out, that name said out loud. Well, yeah, you're never going to hear the trailer. Horatio Hornblower, that guy. But, <laughs> that's, um, right, that's right. But, um. The, the, the guy. The, no, the, I thought he looked, I think he had the nice the, vibe. The guy who wants to piss on Jason Bateman in Horrible Bosses. Yeah. That guy. I mean, I think he nailed the, the vibe of that, because Mr. Fantastic is very hard to relate to. Yes. In a way. I mean, like, the thing is great. The thing, yeah. I think Michael Chiklis was great with big goofy teeth. He was, and, and Chris Evans was perfect as Human yeah. Torch. Uh, he had that I mean, swagger down. Jessica Alba was wasted. Doctor Doom was terrible. Yeah, that you was know. one thing they shouldn't have updated. They should have just gone with Latveria and all that crazy yeah. shit. Yeah, uh, and it, in in the new Fantastic Four, like uh, his name isn't even uh, Victor Von Doom. He's a blogger or He's something. Blogger That's another or thing or people have got hip shit yeah, about. Yeah. And I don't blame them for going to go shit about that. But, but I mean, in the second movie, he inherits Latveria. I think they have Latveria at some point in Doom. Based on the teaser alone, I see no reason. To, to, to scream bloody murder just no. yet. Based on the teaser alone, you wouldn't know it's a Fantastic Four movie <laughs> until the title comes up at the end. Well, also, you got, like, The Rock, you know, the... the but there is a bit of the, the Rock guy. Is yeah. this dog made of orange rock? <laughs> That's the only thing you see, and there is a shot of them all standing there at the end looking at a, a light thingy. Yeah. And there's a plane thingy falling. Yeah. And... That looks it's, cool. And it's total Rock Johnson fucking... Yeah. Thing. Ben, 
Ben. Ben Grimm. Yeah, I know, but I was going to get there. Rock Johnson. He's, 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 rock, he's all rock, you know? Like yes. Everyone else is looking normal. They're not, they're not rocking their blue duds. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's interesting. And I'm hoping, again, maybe they'll have the good, they have the good marketing plan. The second one will show some of the effects work that we'll be working on right now. Yeah. That'll kind of give it a bit more of the oomph. Yeah. But uh, yeah, any new superhero movies coming out? Stop doing origin stories. Just they're they're there. Yeah, we've been doing it. We, we know, know who the fuck they are. We know. Unless you've been living under a rock for the last thirty years now at this point. Yeah. Also, there was the uh, trailer for uh, Ted Two. Yes. Which looks quite good. Which looks. I was surprised. I really was thinking Ted Two. Where can they go with this? But. The second, there's a point where they're talking about, basically the story of this is like, Ted wants to have a baby, they're going to get Mark Wahlberg's sperm, yeah. um, and he's going to be... There's a really nice gag involving other people's sperm. That's, uh, that's fucking gross. It's <laughs> <laughs> absolutely fucking gross. I'll, I, as usual, I'll put all the links in the web, in the web page. But there, there's a scene of them, that, it turns out that the government won't let them have a baby unless Ted can prove he's a real person. And there's a scene of them meeting their lawyer where they just run through all the slang that everyone learns from watching Ali McBeal and fucking Law and & Order and every courtroom drama TV show you've ever seen. And, and it's very funny. It's genius. Sidebar. <laughs> you know, sidebar. <laughs> Overruled. Sustained. And the two of them, you know, Marky Mark's playing dumb Boston version of himself. It's great. That looks really good. Yeah, no, I mean, I really enjoyed Ted 1. Uh, and uh, and I guess they must have patched things up with Flash Gordon because he's in there. Is he? I didn't see him. He was the guy who married them. He was the priest. Oh, was he? I yeah, didn't yeah. see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did they have an argument? Sam, with him? Sam, Sam Johnson. Right? Sam Johnson. Yeah. yeah. Well, they didn't have an argument with him, but um, in the DVD commentary, they you uh, you kind of get the impression that he wasn't the easiest guy to be around. Really? Like he had like demands and stuff. Well, he used to be Flash Gordon. Yeah. <laughs> Where's my Winnebago? <laughs> Uh, a nice little surprise that popped up just after the last ca- cast was a trailer for The Voices starring Ryan Reynolds. Yes, yes. So this, this is... This looks like a lot of fun. This looks like a crazy amount of fun. I don't think... Had you heard about anything about yeah, this? Yeah, yeah, No, no. It, it, it uh, had gotten quite a bit of um, attention. Um, I think it was at Toronto. Yeah. At the Toronto Film Festival. Um, and uh, people were pretty divided about it. Really? Well, I mean, in the sense that you either love it or hate it. Yeah. You know, because... As, as you can see from the trailer... It's uh, it's pretty dark shit. Yeah, it's a very black comedy where Ryan Reynolds hears his dog and his cat talk to him. Yeah. And his dog's all like, as you expect dogs to be. And the cat's like, killer now. Yeah. And he's he is a serial killer. Yeah. And uh, he kills people in pretty graphic ways. And when he keeps them around, their heads keep talking to him and giving him shit for killing them. Yeah. And it looks fucking hilarious. Yeah. And, but, this look, but this is exactly the kind of film that I like to see Ryan Reynolds do because it, it, it fits with his edgy sort of humor. Yeah. Uh, and Ryan Reynolds is the kind of guy that needs something to bounce off. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, and and th- this looks like that. And not lean on. Was some fucking tr- poster for some movie where it's, he's doing the Matthew McConaughey thing? Uh, the proposal. Remember, remember for fucking yes. ages, every yes. poster for Matthew, Matthew McConaughey, McConaughey rom-com had him leaning like, on the girl. Leaning on the girl, looking at the something. camera and smiling yeah. and he just wanted to kill him. Yeah. 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 And this poster has the girl pulling Ryan Reynolds' tie over her shoulder and he's leaning on her and it's like, I will never see this film. That's the proposal. The proposal. With Sandra Bullock. And that's another reason Sandra why. Bullock? Yeah, that's oh. another reason why you would never see it. Because you don't see anything Sandra Bullock does. Apart from gravity. Apart from gravity. You didn't see The Blind Side? <laughs> no, I haven't watched The Blind Side yet. Alright. Did you? No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, again, switching gears completely, uh, another trailer that cropped up, jumped up on me was uh, the trailer for Anarchy. Did you see this? No. So this is Ed Harris, Anton Yelchin. Oh Ethan yes, Hawk. yes. This is uh, uh, based on Cymbeline. 
Simply by, yeah, is that yeah. the play? Because it doesn't say why, it just says based on the works of William Shakespeare. Yeah, 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 it's based on, uh, that. I mean, like, I have seen the trailer, but I saw the trailer when it was still called Simbly. Oh, okay. And, uh, no, it's based on, um, yeah, the it's based on Shakespeare's Simbly. I don't know Simbly. I, it's, um, it's, you know what, I, 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 I mean, like, I've actually, I actually saw the RSC do, I saw a production. Ooh, lovely. But I have no idea what it's about. <laughs> <laughs> well, what it looks like is Shakespeare in the Wire. Um, well, I mean, I mean, they, they've uh, given it a yeah, very modern-day modern uh, update. I mean, like, the production of it that I saw was very traditional. Yeah, but, I mean, it is, it's warring families, right? Or yeah. Ed Harris's daughter, he wants to know where she is, like, star-crossed lovers, yeah, all that yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. But it's, well, what Shakespeare plays isn't about warring yeah, families. Exactly. Uh, so, I mean, I remember I enjoyed the production. Yeah. I remember I didn't know what the hell was going on, but I remember, like, I enjoyed it. Um, uh, but, uh, and, you know, the trailer to this looks pretty cool. Um... Ed Harris just looks badass in a leather jacket, killing motherfuckers. I know, and Ethan Hawke just seems to be doing everything now. Yeah, <laughs> he is. We'll get uh, to but, that. but this movie uh, came. This movie they, they finished shooting this film a while ago. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this movie's been in the can for at least two or three years. Oh wow, Ted struggles. Because um, uh, this was also this was directed by um, uh, Michael. I can't remember his last name. Michael Alamillo, some shit. The, the guy that. Um, uh, Ethan Hawke had done the modern day version of Hamlet with. Oh, okay. Uh, have you seen that? That, that was actually Hamlet. very nicely done. Um, it was very cool. Sam Shepard was the ghost. Um, was was very cool. <laughs> yeah, the, um, it's very cool. You get uh, they do the to be or not to be speech um, in in a blockbuster video store <laughs> by the action section. Nice. <laughs> dated. Yeah. Dated reference there. Very dated. Daddy, what's a blockbuster? Well, son. Well, uh, that's where people used to go and get their movies. On a videotape. What's a videotape? Well, let me tell you, son. <laughs> Back in the format, the format wars of the early 80s. So, like, <laughs> you know that thing we use as a frisbee now? Oh, you mean a laser disc? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and finally for trailers, uh, this is up this week, this crazy-ass-looking trailer for As the Gods Will, which is directed by Takashi Miike. 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 Um... This looks amazing. Yeah. I can't wait to see this. This looks like all those all those Japanese tchotchkes that people buy because they're cool, like, seem to come to life. And it's all seems to be based around school classes or yeah, school like periods. Yeah, period, school periods. Yeah, yeah, so there's a, was it, Daruda doll? Is that what they call it? Yeah, yeah. That, a Daruda doll that you have to press the button on its back yeah. to stop it. But yeah. if, you, if it sees you move, it makes your head explode into red balls. Something like that. And it's just all these horrifying... It's, it's like Battle Royale with um, supernatural elements. Uh, I can't wait for this movie to come out. I'm I'm a I'm a big Takashi Miike fan. For those of you who don't know, uh, he's the guy who directed Ichi the Killer, um, Audition, Audition, yeah, um, uh, Visitor Q. Visitor Q is a weird fucking. It's <laughs> hard going. Yeah, it's it's pretty sick. I mean, he's a sick motherfucker. But yeah. what was a TV show he did? The long one about like serial killer or something. Uh, I, can't I would always see it in laser video back home and I was like working through some Mika and I was like yeah, I don't know if I can watch like a serialized show on this by this crazy motherfucker it's like Inside Mind or I can't remember the name of it at I, all I can't remember you got any of the trailers? Uh, no that's pretty much it alright we're moving on to cool stuff again we've got loads of this shit um, we've got a Batman Returns double bill this week did you see this stuff? no 
So, Neca Online have released the finalized pictures for their 14 scale action figure. Oh, yes, penguin. yes, yes. I've seen the penguin. It looks badass. It looks like a fat Babadook. Yes, it looks badass. <laughs> it's creepy as fuck. It looks badass. No, uh, no, I, I saw that. No, no, it looks very, very cool. Other Geek News website, Topless <laughs> Robot, called it a, a vagina repellent. <laughs> <laughs> because it's fair. It's fair. really. It, I mean, it's a very well crafted sculpt. It, it's it's uh, Danny DeVito in his um, onesie, his white one, yeah. his gross onesie. Actually, the um, the the NECA quarter scale figure line is one of their best. Yeah. Um, you know, aside from the Oswald couple pot uh, penguin figure, they've got one of uh, Heath Ledger from the uh, from the Dark Knight as the Joker that looks pretty cool. Yeah. I I have the Adam West one. Yeah. Uh, which is badass. I still haven't taken it out of the box. Is it the but, doll um, one? Huh? Is it the doll one with the real fabric? Yeah. No. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember seeing that. Um, and uh, for fans of the game Arkham, you know, like uh, the, the, the Arkham, Arkham games. Arkham Asylum games, yeah. yeah. Uh, they do, there's also a quarter scale action figure, uh, NECA version of that, of that version of Batman. Mm. There's also a quarter Lots scale. Of studs. A, yeah, there's a quarter scale uh, Michael Keaton, the, the first Batman. That's very, very cool as well. Um, All horribly expensive. Well, I mean, not not terribly. I mean, if you're if you're um, not opposed to spending money on a sideshow collectible or a, it's not a bad one to get. Or, or a hot toys figure, these are considerably cheaper. Um, they range from like they don't go past a hundred US. Yeah, which is considerably less then, than hot toys or a sideshow. Your Back to the Future should arrive yet? No. <laughs> 2015, man. What the fuck is it? That's going to set me back. That's really going to set me back. <laughs> You've only paid the deposit so far? Yeah, yeah. I paid the deposit, yeah. That's been our weekly Gavin's Back to the Future shit delivery uh, update. Yeah, because other, other... it's not just the figure, it's the fucking car. <laughs> <laughs> it's the whole thing. It's going to kill me. Um, it's going to kill me. The other, uh, the other thing about Batman Returns that they released is that... Uh, a 20-inch tall prop replica statue of one of the Penguin Commandos with the rocket on his back. Yes, I know. I know. I saw that. And I really want it. There's only 300 pieces, just 75 for the US. I didn't see the price on this. It's available at Empire Online or Empire Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, I, I saw that. I really want it. Yeah. I really want it. <laughs> <laughs> I want it about as much as I want that. That that life-size golem that I can put in the garden. (laughs) (laughs) Has he got the fish in his hand in that one? Yeah, he's got the fish in his hand. (laughs) A little gross little fucking... Can you imagine? There's a fucking life-size golem just in the... You can also get like a life-size Yoda. Yeah. Just put that shit in the garden. Can you imagine like if you're stoned or something? Put a motion sensor on and a speaker. You see this golem and Yoda in the... Uh, You put a motion sensor beside them so that they say their lines as well when when someone drunk walks past uh, some other cool shit that you may want to check out. Um, uh, Hero Complex Gallery recently had their uh, just last just just yesterday actually they had their their latest um, exhibition. Oh yeah, uh, which is called Young Guns. Which, yes, I saw this as well. Just which, this afternoon, uh, is uh, introducing a bunch of emerging and rising um, uh, artists. And um, is this the Italian name you're going to talk about? No, no, no I'm not going to talk about a specific artist, no. but. Um, the day, the, the way the way it goes with these things, um, not just with um, Hero Complex, but also with um, Gallery 88. Um, also with ga- Gallery uh, 88 and with, um, you know, Bottleneck Gallery and all these places is that they have their main exhibition. And the very next day, all of that, all of the stuff that hasn't been sold is available online. Right. And um, if you are a fan of the same kind of shit we're fans of, yeah. it's very cool. I highly recommend going to check this stuff out because not all of it, not all of the poster work is based on stuff, based on very mainstream stuff. There is some, they, they do focus on some things that are actually... 
um, that not many people are focusing on, like uh, like uh, on the, this new Young Guns thing. There's a very cool Equilibrium poster. Yes, I saw that one. You know, so that's the same. That's the artist I was looking at. Yeah, he did the Young Guns one and the Crow one. Yeah, and yeah. I think Enter uh, the Dragon, something else like that. Uh, the the Last Dragon. The Last Dragon. Yeah. He did those ones. The 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 Crow one's very cool because the the text is kind of handwritten yeah, and it yeah. interrupts Brandon Lee's body. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, very cool. So that's very cool. That guy also. Did you see the uh, Cowboy Bebop one? Yes, I did. I did. That was right. That was very very nice. Um, but you can only have so many t-shirts and posters of Mike, like, um, not Mike, what's his name? Sp- Spike lighting a cigarette. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it was it was very cool. And the Equilibrium one's very cool. There's also a really cool Bram Stoker's Dracula one oh. that's kind of, that looks like it's been, uh, looks like it's just pencils, but but it's uh, it's very cool. Um, I got a really cool um, In the Mouth of Madness poster from uh, Hero Complex a little while back. So there are these, like, really obscure stuff that are... You know, these are artists who are clearly film fans. Yeah. Or, or they're very aware of... Um, they're all influenced by Drew Struzan, kind of. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. Some of them have that kind of vibe, you know. And um, there's um, there's just a lot of really, really cool stuff. So I highly recommend... I highly, if, you're, if you like poster art and stuff like that, I highly recommend checking out some of these places. Hero Complex, Bottleneck Gallery, Gallery 88, Spoke, Spoke, uh, Spoke Art. Um, there's a lot of really cool things. Have you... Oh, if you just want to look at cool art, you yeah. can go to Poster Posse. Poster Posse. Not, yeah, Poster Posse. A lot of the, uh, a lot of the stuff in Poster Posse isn't for sale. Okay. Uh, it's just people who just contribute really cool artwork. Yeah, because they're not licensed or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But um, you, but if you see artwork from someone you like, you can Google that guy, and chances are that guy will have a store. Yeah. So if you're into that stuff, I highly recommend all that. Have and there's been... a really and there's a bunch of cool like uh, Back to the Future stuff as well. Oh. Did you, I saw some recently. I follow GeekArt.com, which is a good website to follow. Yeah. yeah. And they had like the Back to the Future uh, posters that were from above. Yes. So there's like the DeLoreans in the middle yes. and the top is the destination and the back, the yeah. bottom is the point of origin. So like for Back to the Future 3, the train from the, uh, from the ending of Back to the Future 3 is in that shot and the, the, the top half is like when they're on the bridge at the Clint yeah. Eastwood Bridge. Um, have you heard, of, did you ever talk about Grey Matter art before? Uh, no. Mm. So they've, uh, they've got some too cool, oh, you just show me the Back to the Future one. Um, I saw the Terminator ones, but I've seen the Mulholland Drive ones now, which look fucking awesome. Oh shit! Uh, but the Terminator ones were the best. Were the ones I saw first. Where's the one with the endoskeleton? And the, the it's the endoskeleton walking through flame, but the body is made up of the faces of the characters. They've got some really good. Uh, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, there's okay, a Book right. Rogers ones, Texas Chainsaw Massacre ones, Cannibal Holocaust. Fuck you, man! What is this? <laughs> <laughs> Graymatterart.com collections posters. So, um, oh, I do know it. I do have it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's in your history. <laughs> yeah, it's in my history. There's <laughs> even a very cool, but the Mulholland Drive one I, I like a lot, although it could be confused as a justified poster. Ooh, the Texas Chainsaw one is amazing. Just the eye? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Just, it's just an eye with a tear, and you can see fuck. Leatherface reflected in it. Is that the one you're talking about, or the other one with the room with the door? For fuck's sake. <laughs> The cool thing segment of McYacken Fries, and a one, a two person uh, crusade to bankrupt both of us. Damn it. What's worse is we do it for ourselves. Every two weeks we show ourselves shit we should not buy. Yeah, yeah, all right, all right, all right. All right, all right, yeah, all right. It's <laughs> enough of that. Enough of the cool shit. No, there is one more cool shit item we need to, 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 to address. Yeah. You can watch Big Trouble in Little China. You can talk like old Jack Burton. Yep. Now, available on Amazon, you can buy an officially licensed version of his vest. Oh, we had we, we talked about this, I think. Did we? Yeah, the, 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 like it was either last podcast or... I don't remember. I don't yeah, know. no, no, we definitely talked about this. It yeah, must yeah. be one of the long drunk ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> no, I, I saw that. I saw that. Yeah, that's badass. It's available on Amazon.com. I was looking at it. It's going like... The only problem I have with shit like that is that when you buy it and wear it, it's painfully clear that you look nothing like yes. Kurt Russell. Yeah. <laughs> you even have a mullet, though. <laughs> kind of. I fell for that shit, you know, when I was trying to, like, buy all the t-shirts that Scott Pilgrim wears. Yeah. You know, and I put it on, and I just realized, like, this doesn't look good on me. I'm a man in his 30s wearing t-shirts that the guy in his 20s looks good in. Early 20s. Um, yeah, and also, you just if you wore that here, you just look like, you know, one of those guys walking around in the Bingtang beer t-shirt. On I know, I know. You, you, it's not... It's not good. It's like if I was, like, going for, like, uh, someone's bucks for a weekend in Thailand, I might bring that along with yeah. me. <laughs> but that's the extent of it. Well, you and know, also... Well, you don't fact, care where everyone thinks you look like a wanker. And also the fact that my skin color is the same color as the vest. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like he's got a tie. It looks like I've Oh, there's one last thing as well. Um, I usually hate these, but uh, you know, NECA do these great sculpts, but awful color schemes. Like they do this eight-bit RoboCop a while ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They've now done one. The which... best thing about the NECA eight-bit uh, figures is actually the packaging. Yeah, the packaging is very cool. The packaging is awesome. Yeah, it's like you know, because it's like it's almost squares of color on the, yeah, on the yeah, sculpt. Yeah. Um, but there is one that they haven't done eight-bit. What they have? Excuse me. Is um. It's a Predator, and it's the cover of the first Predator Dark Horse comic. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of sun uh, sundown colors and stuff like that. And this actually looks very cool. Okay. So uh, it looks like it's ripped straight from the comic book itself. So it's kind of like it's got like yellows and oranges on the front of it and kind of dark blues on the back. It does look kind of cool, but that's another one we'll uh, link off to. Moving on to emails. All right. We've got a few emails and Facebook updates this week. Okay. Hi, guys. Here are 10 actors for the purposes of this podcast I have limited to 10 that I think should be thrown in an act, into an active volcano in no particular order. Aubrey Plaza, Steven Seagal, Chris Tucker, James Van Der Beek. I think I know who this is. Nev Campbell, <laughs> Billy Zane, Melissa Joan Hart, Rob Schneider, and Kirstie Alley. Can you add another 10 to the list? Thanks from No Name. Uh, this would be like actors? Yeah, actors. I, I have to disagree with some of these. Okay, who do you disagree? Read them out again, please. Aubrey Plaza. Okay. Still okay, Scott Pilgrim. Steven Seagal. Yeah, yeah, he's hard, for blood. He's hard to kill. He's out for revenge. Yeah, uh, Chris Tucker. Mm, he's on the fence. Depends on the role. De- yes. Depends on the role. Supporting, yes. Lead, annoying as fuck. James Van Der Beek, best forehead in the business. Come on, it's the Beek. Yeah, <laughs> I'm waiting for Nev Campbell. I'm waiting for someone to direct her where they just say, "If you squint in this movie, I will kill a puppy." Do not squint. Act with the rest of your face. Just do not squint. I, I, I totally agree on Nev Campbell. Yeah. you can throw her into a volcano. Billy Zane is the fucking phantom man. He's the bomb. I think. You know, I, I, I got a soft spot for Billy Zane. You yeah. know, it's like... He's in Back to the Future. Yeah, come on. Dead calm. Yeah. The Phantom. Melissa <laughs> Joan... Melissa Joan... I take, a, I take umbrage at Melissa Joan Hart. She was great in Sabrina the Teenage Witch. I hate Melissa Joan <laughs> <laughs> uh, Okay. Well, first person... Sorry, I'm Rob Schneider and Kirstie Alley. Rob Schneider, yes. Uh, Kirstie Alley? Mm, she was great in Star Trek too. Yeah, okay. Um... Okay, well, since I mean, all that she does since, is get... since someone brought up Melissa Joan Hart, what's that other dude that, that she does that sitcom with, like Melissa and Joey? Joey, what's his name? I don't even know. Yeah, well, if anyone's familiar with that sitcom, Joey from Melissa and Joey. That guy. That guy. <laughs> Throw him in the fucking volcano. Uh, who else? Jesse Eisenberg. Really? <laughs> nah. Because <laughs> the thing is, a lot of the people I used to hate 
I kind of like him now. Yeah. You know, it's like I used to hate Kevin Costner, but now he's kind of cool. Yeah. You know. Three Days to Kill is kind of lame. You know, but he's cool. Yeah. You know. He, he's Pa Kent. Did you, did you hear the Mark Kermode review of Three Days to Kill? I'll, I'll throw in the dude from The Flash. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> he's great. I like him. He's a whiny little glee bitch. He's got a big fart. I'll give him that. He's got a, a certain derbeekness going around. But I think he's... I'll, a... I'll throw Iris into the volcano. Iris, right? yes. Throw her in the fire. I'll throw Iris into the volcano. <laughs> Don't you ever talk bad about Joe. <laughs> No, I like Joe. Yeah, Joe's awesome. But he can't cry. No. He can't cry. <laughs> he can't cry. He can't cry. Every time he tries to cry, it's damn funny. <laughs> it's like uh, Taylor Lautner trying to cry. Throw Taylor, him in the volcano. Taylor, Taylor Lautner. <laughs> Unless he's doing comedy, yeah. chuck him into the volcano. Yeah. Adam yeah. Sandler in the volcano. Adam Sandler in the volcano, yes. Um, I, I would pay money to see Christopher McDonald throw Adam Sandler into the volcano. And then do the shooter. The, 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 the shooter McGavin. <laughs> <laughs> shooter. Uh, who else? Who else? David Spade. He can, yeah. he, he can go in the volcano. Um, David Schwimmer. <laughs> Working through the day. I can take it and believe him. Um, Zoe Deschanel. Yeah, yeah. Chuck her into the volcano. Yeah, she's volcano worthy. Uh, who else we got? I'm trying to think of who, like, no matter what they're in, the moment I see them, I'm annoyed or pissed off. It's like, okay, well, you know, it's like, the thing is, is like, you know, I really like Don Cheadle. But yeah. if Don Cheadle played every role he played like he did in the Oceans movies, I'd want to throw him into the volcano. With his... Well, I'm you, a cockney blade yeah. you, you tosses. Yeah. <laughs> awful, awful decision. And um, Mel Gibson? Nah. Come on. We need Mel Gibson. <laughs> we need Mel Gibson. <laughs> we need Mel Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> he balances the equation. <laughs> we need Mel Gibson. If we got rid of him, someone worse would take his place. <laughs> <laughs> He's the devil you know. Oh, God. Um, Hmm. Uh, that guy from the Seventh Heaven TV show who was Ben who, Barnes. Throw Ben Barnes into the volcano. I can I can live with that. Yeah. Um, uh, Charlie uh, Sheen. Charlie Sheen. No, actually, we need Charlie Sheen the yeah. same way we need Mel Gibson. Yeah. <laughs> Nicole Kidman. Yes, Nicole, actually. Yeah. Nicole Although Kidman. I've heard again. I need to just get some time and go see Paddington because this is it's insane how good the reviews are and how bad everything about the footage looked. Yes, but I'm sure the reason it's amazing is not just, you know, down to her. No, 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 no. But yeah. even like uh, even the reviews that might say like Helena Bottom Carter. No, fuck you. <laughs> Have you seen what she looks like in that Cinderella movie about Yeah, yeah, yeah. She yeah, looks, yeah. She looks amazing. Yeah. <laughs> She's the bomb in Harry Potter. Uh that that comic relief dude from The Hobbit. That guy like who kept like who the big fat dude. No, no, the guy who dressed up in drag, like Stephen Fry's assistant. Oh, that fucker! Yeah, throw him. Yeah, he's awful. Throw him in there. Yeah, he. I every time he came on screen, I was like, "Is it over?" Throw Orlando Bloom in there while you're at it. Yeah, you know. How would that look like a lass? How would that? I just started saying that to people. Must have, we must have got ten by now. Yeah, we're yeah. well past. And right. uh, email two comes in from Randy Dreyer. Who Melissa says, McCarthy, plug it. Yes. <laughs> oh, fuck, Ghostbusters. Yeah, yeah. Let's, so we got, let's, no, let's not talk about let's that. Let's not talk about that. Let's not talk about that. I, there's still hope. Oh, bread. <laughs> Apparently, it's really bad form to eat on a podcast. Mmm. <laughs> bread makes you fat. Mm. Bread makes you fat? <laughs> <laughs> waiting how long it would take you. <laughs> this is really good bread. It's a good yeah. try, though. Could use some butter and jam. Could have a nice strawberry jam on a piece of bread like this. Mm. Animated features looking forward to watching 2015. 
Um, what's coming out? There's not any big bad big trailers. There's been there's been no sort of animated movie announced that yeah. I'm particularly excited for. Mm. The Leica guys posted a pic of uh, something. Leica are the ones who do uh, Paranorman and Fox um, Trolls. Fox Trolls and stuff yeah. like that. And it's a Japanese folklorist tale. It's like Suki and the Two Strings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it looks like Marceline from... It looks like you get a more Asian version of Marceline from Adventure Time. Yep. That looks kind of interesting. I mean, I, I still need to see the box trolls, but their stuff's genuinely good. Yeah. And, and they have a they have a quirky art style, but they also have a quirkiness to their stuff. Yeah. Um, I really don't know why this is coming out this year. Probably should do some research before we do the podcast next time. Well, we're just sort of like, you know, like I haven't looked at these questions. These are all like yeah. very cold. No, well, like, I just couldn't pace. I don't read the fuck. No, I can't think of any animated movie that's, that's coming out that that uh, I'm dying to see. Yeah, they're not. Like even the even the Pixar one. Like, Inside Out. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm I, 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 like, I'll know I'll see it. Yeah. But am I dying to see it? No, not really. No. So the answer is none. <laughs> <laughs> and via Facebook, uh, Florence Wan asks, how is it that the Lego movie wasn't nominated for Best Animation Feature at the Oscars? It's well, a crime. I, well, I think uh, she's not alone in being really pissed off about this. I mean, I, it, was I all, it was all over Twitter. This is, one, no, but this is also why we don't talk about the Oscars, because this shows that all these award shows are just massive wank fests. Yes, yes. I mean, there's a, there is a, a little feature, I think, during the Oscar run-up that... Um, whatever the studio's called, release, that it's like, you know, making the movie with bricks. Like, how they talked about, like, they wanted not only just to make everything in the in the, sh- in the movie is made out of Lego bricks. Like, they didn't fudge it at all. Yeah. Like, some poor bastard had to sit there and build all the houses in every scene from actual virtual Lego bricks. Mm-hmm. Like, they had a, a Lego program that they would do it with. Yeah. But then, like, the directors also wanted to have smudge marks for the thumbs. Right. So you could see, like, kids... Like, you can see it. There's some, they're not yeah. totally shining. Yeah. And... I mean, even if it's not animation feature, that's effects or that's VFX or whatever yeah, the fuck. Yeah. There's something due there. Yeah, no, it's... Um, I, I thought a Big it, Hero 6 gets nominated? God, no. No, I thought it was criminal that it didn't get nominated. And a lot of people felt the same way. Yeah. I mean, Twitter exploded with comments about this when when uh, it failed to get a nomination. So to answer your question, I don't know how it happened. Now, they, they must have pissed someone off. Yeah. Or they, it was early enough in the year. People no, no, I don't, I don't even think it had... It couldn't have had anything to do with that because that, that doesn't really make that much of a difference these days. Um, who was I listening to? I think it was the Empire podcast was talking about the decisions that were made for all this you stuff know. and they were saying how... But, but you know, like uh, Florence, you can take... Um, you know, you can take solace in the fact that uh, the biggest fuck you to the Academy was the fact that uh, the Lego movie got the People's Choice Award. Oh, was it? Yeah. yeah. And I mean, everything is awesome is nominated for Best Song. Yes. So what the fuck? How can you not nominate that? It's a fucking earworm. <laughs> um... <laughs> But someone else is saying, like, the Oscars are Hollywood's way of showing what they think they of themselves to the world. And yeah. they tend to think we're worthy, we're artists, we're not grown-ups too. Yeah, and based on this year's Oscar, what, uh, what Hollywood is trying to say to the world is that there are no black people in L.A. <laughs> really? From what? There, was, there were no black nominees. Oh, really? There were no black nominees in a, in a year that had Selma. Apparently you know, Selma fucked up with their sending out the screeners. Because they were they were a late release anyway. It doesn't matter. No, I know that. It, I know it, that. But it, it doesn't it, matter. It's campaigns. It was, it's awareness. Yeah. And that people weren't aware of it because they did. It was out very close to the Oscar voting season, and they got delayed. I think so. They only sent their screeners out just before Christmas. And apparently, actors and directors don't like watching movies over Christmas, especially free ones <laughs> that they have to vote on. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the vote. I mean, they did a couple of years ago. There was a couple of articles on people interviewing. Anonymous uh, voters, and they were talking like how they do it. It's like, well, we just, you know, 
they haven't like most of the most voters haven't seen like like 30 40 percent of the voters haven't seen all the movies of contention they just kind of vote on what they think yeah. people want so that's why we don't cover much of this shit on the show because it wastes their time we can talk about you know penguin statues instead yeah <laughs> amen to that brother as usual, you can join in the conversation by emailing us at podcast and the Fries, or you can hit up Gavin at GavYap. At GavYap. On Twitter. Yep. Or just send us a, a Facebook message or something like that. We will respond and, you know, be nice about it. Yep. Um, so, moving on to reviews. Hmm. Okay, uh, I'll just start really briefly uh, on uh, A Walk Among the Tombstones. Okay. Um, a Walk Among the Tombstones, it's uh, based on the novel uh, by Lawrence Block mm-hmm. uh, of the same name. Um, if this movie had made Taken dollars, mm-hmm. uh, they would probably start a new franchise because there's quite a few of these books. Okay. Um, it was written for the screen and directed by Scott Frank. Um, I've been a fan. Yeah. Scott Frank. <laughs> um, I've been a fan of Scott Frank for quite a long time. He's written some amazing uh, screenplays. He wrote the screenplay for Dead Again. Oh, okay. He wrote the screenplay for uh, Malice, Forget Shorty, Out of Sight. Wow. Minority Report. Oh. Um, and uh, also uh, wrote the screenplay uh, for... Um, he, he made his uh, directorial debut on uh, The Lookout with George, Joseph uh, Gordon-Levitt and uh, Jeff Daniels, which I really, really liked. Um, and he also did a... Ma- he also was one of the uh, screenwriters that did a massive polish on uh, James Mangold's uh, The Wolverine. Oh. Um, None of which was in the press notes because it came out too close. <clears throat> it came out too close to uh, Taken that I thought I don't want to go see another. Well, I didn't see Taken three anyway, but I didn't want to go see another Taken style movie. And it didn't. I got. I got that vibe from just knowing nothing about it. Well, I mean, if you go by the trailer, yes, it has a real Taken vibe. Yeah. Uh, but it is so far removed from Taken. Um, basically, it's set in the nineties, um, and uh, Liam Neeson. All plays, that long ago. Yes. Yes. Uh, the movies that take place in the 90s are now considered period films. Yes. Yeah, fucking deal with it. Uh, Liam Neeson plays uh, Matthew Scudder. Uh, the movie opens uh, with this sequence that happens in 1991 where um, uh, uh, Matthew Scudder is still a detective um, in for the New York Police Department. Mm-hmm. And um, Or is there a whole load of Scudder books? Huh? Is there a whole load of Scudder books? <laughs> no. Huh. Uh, and the movie opens with basically establishing him as a cop with a drinking problem. Mm-hmm. And um, and he's involved in this altercation where he's uh, going after this uh, criminal, shoots off a bunch of rounds, and in the meantime, um, takes out a civilian. Um, I won't quite. I mean, I won't quite say how exactly that happens because that is something in the film that they keep flat, flashbacking to. I'm filling so, in the gaps. So, yeah, so you never quite see exactly what happened, okay. but you know that someone had to have died. Like that much is clear. But so I'll leave that bit out. And then, he's not um, taken. He's shaken. That's right. So. After that, it's eight years later, and um, he's now a recovered alcoholic, and um, he's approached by by this guy uh, Kenny, who's uh, played by Dan Stevens, mm-hmm. who is uh, making a bit of uh, making some waves in the industry now. He was in this film called The Guest. He was he got he got a start on uh, yeah, Downton Abbey. Watch that, yeah. Yeah, The Guest is supposed to be a really really good film. Yeah, because the, the the advertising looks like Drive, but apparently it's a horror movie. That's right. More bread. <laughs> and okay, um, this is, no, this is the breadcast. And so basically, he's uh, he's employed by Dan Stevens to find the guys who have uh, kidnapped and killed his wife. Mm. Um, and it's essentially about it's essentially about Liam Neeson's character solving the mystery of, of this death and looking for these and looking for this guy who has uh, been who's been uh, sort of kidnapping. 
people uh, kidnapping uh, uh, either wives or kids of, of uh, people who are connected to uh, drug dealing. Okay. So they know that these people have money to pay, and they know that they won't go to the cops. Interesting. Um, and that is essentially the plot. Um, because it, it is kind of a who done it, but not really. Because halfway through the film, you know who did it. Oh right! And then, it, what does he know? No, he doesn't let know. You in. He doesn't okay. know. He lets you in on it, and then after that, it, beca- it kind of becomes this thing where you can see how close he gets and how, you know, how, so close but yet so far that type of thing. What I really liked about it is that it feels like the kind of movie that was made in the seventies. It feels like a, an old William Friedkin kind of film. Okay, cool. Um, so it has this very very nice slow burn sort of effect, um, which I really appreciate these days. When you know, so kiss kiss, but so you know, yeah, where where everything is now, you know, well, not it's not like now. It's been it's been like this for ages now. Where but it trusts its audience to have an attention span. That's right. Yeah, it doesn't rely on MTV style editing. Yeah, and it really takes its time. But it takes its time in a very engrossing way. I mean, if you're familiar with Scott Frank's work, you you you'll know what I mean. I mean, like if you think about the screenplays I mentioned, like. You know, films like uh, Dead Again and, you know, Out of Sight and all these kinds of films where they're very intelligent. They're very, very well written. And dialogue is this guy's forte. I mean, Scott Frank writes amazing dialogue. And this is no exception. You know, it feels real. The dialogue feels real. Um, It's done by, it's produced by Jersey Films, Danny DeVito's company. Okay. And this is the first time I've seen Danny DeVito produce a film in quite some time. So uh, I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, you know, I felt a little. I felt a little deflated by the ending, oh. but but not because it's a bad ending. It's just because they do such a good job of building it up. And it goes out with a whimper instead of a bang. Well, I won't even say it's like, a, not even like an action bang, like it's, a dramatic yeah, bang. Yeah, it's 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 more. It's not an action bang, you know. And I think that um, the whole thing these days, when you have these kind, when you have these kinds of films that take their time, you're expecting a little bit more of a. You know, a little bit something that's a little bit more intense towards the end, mm. and it never quite got there. But I, you know, but it, this was like it's a minor, it's a minor um, complaint. It wasn't something that affected my enjoyment of it. Mm. Is it? You don't need to see it in the cinema, so it's perfectly fine as a rental cool. on Netflix. But yeah, I highly recommend checking it out. It is not a taken retreat. Yeah, know? yeah, it is not a taken type film. But you listen to us a lot. You know that we would we wouldn't do that to you. So I mean, yeah. taken one was fun, but this is definitely not that. So. Yeah. Uh, next up, I'm going to review this bread I'm eating. So I'm going to give this uh, 10 out of 10, would eat again. All right. Yeah, this is good bread from Kevin's uh, wife and mother-in-law. Mm. Mm. You just started in on that piece. I guess I'm doing the next review. Yeah. Um, <coughs> you can do a violent year. <coughs> yeah, I'll do a, a most violent year. Or as I like to call it, a very stressful month. <laughs> so a most violent year, the biggest problem with this movie is the title, but uh, I'll get to that in a bit. So... <laughs> it's written and directed by J.C. Chandler, who he did Margin Call and All Is Lost with Robert Redford. This um, last, this amazing meal here represents the last of the petty cash. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you said you wouldn't talk about Ghostbusters. I'm just going to quote the original Ghostbusters. When, when the new one comes out... You sit in the cinema and just quote it. <laughs> when the new one comes out, I'm going to pay good money to go see it. Wearing a T-shirt featuring the original cast, yeah, <laughs> and I'm just going to quote the original movie throughout the entire film. It's like, I went, "What did you do, Ray? <laughs> what did you do? You're not sleeping with it, are you? <laughs> that's a damn big Twinkie." <laughs> <laughs> when Melissa McKenna no, asked, "What did you do, Ray?" Oh shit! <laughs> I try to think of the most wholesome, nice thing in the world I ever did. Mr. Staypuff. Mr. Staypuff. I was violent here. Cross the streams. 
I thought you said that was bad, Egon. <laughs> so, uh, this is Oscar Wilde and Jessica Chastain. You're going to endanger us. You're going to endanger our client, a very nice lady who paid us in advance before she became a dog. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Your Honor, it's true. This man has no dick. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Paul, Paul Fake, is that the guy you're yeah. yeah. Earn this, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's on you, man. Shit. <coughs> I'll give you one teaser. Yeah. That's gotta knock it out. Of the you better park. knock it out the fucking park. You got an uphill battle. A most violent year. Yes. So most violent year. Oscar Isaac. Um, he's a businessman. He runs uh, an oil company, the home heating oil. Yes. And at the beginning of the movie, he's meeting with some very strange-looking um, Orthodox Jewish guys. He's putting in his big deal to buy uh, an old this old land that this guy's owned for ages, and big petroleum companies have owned. So like, there's all it basically would like quadruple or multiply his business by 10 overnight but it's going to take all I mean he's doing pretty well on this, uh, this uh, oil thing but it's going to take all of his savings and all of his money basically he, he mortgages his future on this deal and the, the, these Jewish guys have a very strict set of requirements right. and you got you got to have the rest of the money within 30 days no other no no, no most not right so it's the, which is where the most violent month comes into it. Well, the most stressful month comes in because it's around this time that like they've started having robberies on the trucks. So someone that someone is stealing their trucks and it's not sure who it is. And they steal them, they offload the oil, and then the trucks they get the trucks back. Yeah. And it's starting to get bad where they start use guns now. And so like one of the guys, um, it's that fucker from Scorpion, uh, Elliot. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm sure the guy's a nice guy. And I just hated the first episode of Scorpion. Uh, Elias Gable, like he's like, if you follow, you parallel his story, like he gets really fucking shook up because he's held at gunpoint, he steals his truck. And Jessica Chatsane has a mob history that's referred to a lot. Yeah. Like her father, as they talk about, like, you want my father to get involved? And it's like, whoa, no. And uh, David Oelio, who gets a lot of play recently, um, he's um, a DA. Mm-hmm. But they constantly go to say, like, look, we need help with this. And he's like, well, we are looking into corruption, but we're also looking into corruption into your business. Right. So he's got the DA breathing down his neck, he's got his oil company going out, things disappearing and costing him money yeah he cannot change the terms of this deal with the jewish guys and uh the bank is getting freaked out because one of his guys gets caught in an altercation and has his own gun right oh he's got the teamsters want to get want to arm the entire fleet and uh of oil guys and he doesn't want to do that right and it's it, all about oscar isaac's struggle it's also set in 1981 which apparently from what i hear is wasn't the it was the mo- they thought it was the most violent year on record in new york because the 80s was when you know this is before zero tolerance this is when you know, Times Square was a cesspit. Yeah, yeah. And um, which so, then basically, it's like today's Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> and like, and when he talks to Jessica, when they, when they start getting investigated, he keeps asking the wife, like, are, are we, we're good, right? And she's been cooking the books the whole time. Right. But she has to go back and check how much she's cooked. It's like, where do we stand? It's like, well, I need to know what they're asking about. It's like, well, how do we, what do you mean? How do we stand? So, I mean, Oscar Isaac's a great actor. Yeah, he's he's just his his star is ascending all the time. Yeah, uh, that, um, I mean, and after uh, X Men Apocalypse and uh, Force Awakens comes out, he'll be pretty much unstoppable. Yeah, so. but even before that, I mean, he's getting brilliant kudos for X Machina, and his his he was great. He was good in Drive. I mean, he's, he's just he had a yeah. uh, the Coen Brothers one music one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Inside Llewyn Davis. In, Inside uh, Llewyn Davis. Yeah, yeah, we haven't seen that. Yeah. yeah. I haven't seen it, but I'm, I'm very familiar with the soundtrack. It's a, yeah. great, it's a great soundtrack. All right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and the, the 80s vibe to this movie is great. They do look very, like, he's got big fucking coats and big fucking suits and nice hair and Jessica Chastain's all fucking New York. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, there's a scene in the trailer which totally kind of 
upsets not upset, it upsets what you're expecting where there's a, there's a bit where she's talking to the DA just like because they all of course the cops in the DA only raise your house when you're having a birthday party yeah in crime movies yeah when it's, like, child. It's, it's, ne- it's never when you're just sort of at home reading a book or yeah, anything. You know, scratching like, your jocks. It's always that you got like everyone around you and make a big scene. You know? And she's like, you know, we're, we're going to do everything we can. And she's like, I need five. She just tells him, I need five minutes. Get the boxes out of here. Like the books. She's just got to get out of there. Yeah. So he's beset upon by all sides. And it's mo- you could say it's the most violent year for him in his mind. Maybe he's got to struggle against this. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, so he's like kind of like the poor schmo who's just not a poor schmo. But I mean, one, but, of, the, one of the things that comes up a lot is everyone keeps saying to he, there's, a, there's a kind of a repeated coda of him saying, "I know." Like he's saying, "Like we gotta step up on this, or we gotta, you know, if we need to, if we need my father's help, we need to, you know, get a little crime drama in here." He's like, "Are oh, we gonna lose everything?" He's like, "I know." He knows all the issues that are coming, but he still wants to stay the course. Otherwise, we are all dead. <laughs> Sorry. But no, he wants to stick to his morals. He wants to do this the right way. Yeah. Which would be fine, but that movie title makes it a most violent year. Right. There's not that much violence, and it takes... Like, you've got a 30... This is a 30-day contract. Yeah. So it literally takes place over a month. Yeah. And they parallel his decisions, because, you know, he's on the up with this truck driver's life, which goes to the fucking toilet. Yeah. Which is a nice comparison there. But as I said, it's just, it, it is a good movie. It's just, it's not, it's not like New York, uh, half budget Godfather. Right. Which kind of gave the impression it was in some of the, it does, movies. it does kind of give that impression. Yeah. So I mean, I felt a bit like, oh, you know, he would always choose the, the, the we'd never choose the gun. Okay. I mean, I don't want to spoil anything, but it's like, yeah. it, he's constantly struggling against it. It's great watching him struggle against it, yeah. but it comes off a little unsatisfactory. Oh, and what's his name's great in it? Um, Albert Brooks, as his lawyer. Albert Brooks, man. I love Albert Brooks. <laughs> like he's, it's, just, it's not a similar character to Drive, but it's that similar like archetype. He's a guy who knows stuff. Like, yeah. he's the lawyer. Yeah, he, he's either like that kind of guy, or he's just like an asshole who just yeah. like, who's, who's just there to take money from you. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, the Teamsters talk to uh, Isaac, uh, Oscar Isaac, and they talk to him separately. He's like, yeah, but what can we, can we work this out? You know, he's the, not a creepy way that I came off as, but like, you know, he's got that kind of, he's the voice of reason in a way, you know what I mean? So, I, it's good, as I said, but, you, but temper your expectations going into it. Okay. All right, so moving on, let's talk about predestination. Now let's talk about Birdman, then we can talk about Project Mal- Almanac, and then we can flip on predestination. Right. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about Birdman. Hey! You didn't put your phone on silent? The one time it's not on silent. This is so fucking apt because no, my no. only the only notes I have for Birdman no, was the, like too much jazz. The one, <laughs> <laughs> the one time it's not on silent. <laughs> okay. No, that's seriously the, that's one of the only notes uh, I took about the whole thing was too much fucking jazz percussion. Okay, well, all right, so Birdman. Birdman is the movie that is uh, being... The fated movie. Is being hailed as Michael Keaton's comeback. To be fair, Michael Keaton never really left. He's kept working very consistently. He's always been with us. He's No, I mean, like, it's it's unfair to call it a comeback because mm. he, he never left. He's been working very consistently. Was it, was it, was it LL Cool J who said, don't call it a comeback? I've been around for years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mama said, knock you out. <laughs> Uh, but no, Michael Keaton, he's, uh, you know, Michael Keaton, he had his day as a leading man, but I think even when he was a leading man, it was very clear to people who were fans of his that he was essentially a character actor yeah. who did leading roles. And if you listen to any of the interviews with him on the press circuit for this, yeah. he gets bored incredibly easily. Yes. So he needs things that push him all the time. Yes. 
you know, and uh, after Batman, I mean, he famously turned down $15 million to, to reprise his role as Batman in Batman Forever. Uh, because he didn't like the direction that uh, Joel Schumacher was going to be taking it in. Yeah. And he didn't want to be involved because Tim Burton wasn't directing. Yeah. You know, so fair enough. Yeah. You know. uh, right decision. Yes. <laughs> um, but that says a lot about the kind of guy that he is. And also, as you say, like in interviews, he said that one of the reasons why he turned down so many films is because he was raising a kid. Yeah. And he, w he didn't want to be away... Like out of town, you yeah. Know? And again, I mean, maybe I listen to more. Like I don't watch puff pieces on TV and stuff like that. I listen to more like the Empire podcast or the Sonny Mark yeah, yeah. But the interviews with then, he's terribly engaging with everybody. Yeah. And like at one point, he's fucking with the guys from Empire, saying like when they talked about like they mentioned the joke about like you have you've worked with two Hulks because you worked with Ed Norton and I think you worked with uh, Gruffalo uh, in uh, Spotlight. This yeah, movie well, is doing that. Yeah. Like you work with two Hulks, and he's like taking because it's a podcast. Michael Keaton starts making the joke about. He just did like a geek thumbs up thing. And he hadn't done that, but he's just like totally taking the piss out of the interviewer for five minutes. Yeah, and they yeah, keep yeah. joking about it. No, I mean, he, he, you know, like, uh, he comes across, he's very engaging. I'd love um, to take him for a pint. Yeah. I mean, I've been a massive fan of his forever. You yeah. know, I mean, I've uh, been, been, been watching him since I was you know, a kid. So. Yeah. so in Birdman, since he was Mr. Mom, he was your Mr. Mom. Yep. Uh, well, so, you know, like Night Shift and all those guys. But uh, so Birdman, there's this whole sort of like meta thing going on because. A lot of people argue that he's kind of playing some version of himself. Yeah. Um, I disagree with this, and yeah. so does he. Yeah. <laughs> Vehemently. Yes. Uh, but it's the, the, the premise of the film is that he plays like a washed-up actor who was famous for playing an iconic superhero called Birdman. Yeah. And um, Who famously bowed out of Birdman 4. 4, yeah. Yeah, he turned down Birdman 4. And he's been trying to put his life back together ever since then. But he is an asshole actor. Yes, he's an asshole actor. And in this film, when our film starts, what he is in the middle of doing is that he's in the middle of mounting a Broadway production of uh, a Raymond Carver um, story that he uh, adapted himself. He's directing the adaptation and he's, he's starring. Yeah. He's starring in the adaptation. A.K.A. Winefest. That's right. And um, uh, his the rest of the cast in that production uh, is uh, Naomi Watts. Uh, she's in it. Um, uh, Andrea uh, Riceborough. Yes, Andrea Riceborough. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She's uh, she she she's in it as well. As well, and she's also his current girlfriend. And she's also his current girlfriend. Um, Zach Galifianakis plays his lawyer and his manager and his friend and his friend. Thin, um, thinning. Yes, uh, thinning. Zach Galifianakis. When the movie starts, um, Michael Keaton's character Riggin Riggin Thompson is uh, very very uh, stressed out because one of the actors in his play is the biggest overactor on the planet. Yeah, and who, um, who helpfully gets hit on the head by yes. a giant fucking uh, stage. One, yeah, one of the lights comes one of the, one of the lights comes down and knocks him on the head, and so Michael uh, Regan Thompson uses this as an excuse to get rid of him, and he's replaced with Mike Shiner, who's played by Edward Norton, and who's crazy. Who's crazy? <laughs> he's like. The method actor from hell. Yes. Um, which is the kind of the reputation that Edward Norton has uh, got garnered for himself over yeah. the years. Um, Emma Stone plays uh, Regan Thompson's uh, uh, daughter, Sam, yeah. who's just and out of rehab, uh, and she's playing his assistant. What's his name? Ryan. Amy Ryan plays his ex-wife. And Amy Ryan plays the ex-wife. So this is the cast. It's a dream cast. It's beautiful. Everyone in this movie is on top of their game. To Edward me, Norton hasn't been this good in years. Yeah, to give you an idea of what, uh, like, just a snapshot of his character, like during the first full paid preview. Yeah. Um, he starts in the middle of the play. He starts going off, like, just going off well, because, because they replaced someone's replaced his gin with water. He's like a, he's he's supposed to be drunk in the scene, and so Edward Norton is drinking real gin. Yeah. Just before Regan Thompson goes on, the stage manager says to him that. 
you know, Mike Shiner's drinking real jit. Yeah. So when Rick and Thompson goes on while doing his lines, he replaces the bottle with water and yeah. then proceeds to do his thing. And yeah. as he's in the middle of a monologue, uh, Mike Shiner is like, did you replace my gym with water? And proceeds to destroy the performance. <laughs> and the set. And the set. And the set. Tearing the set apart. So the thing, I mean, first of all, I loved this film. Okay. Um, I thought it was, I think it's an amazing film. Uh, I think I'm, I think I am biased because I, I come from the theater mm-hmm. and there were a lot of things in, in the film that I found very, very True accurate, very accurate. Um, uh, there's also uh, a nice little um, role played by Mia Farrow. She plays this uh, hardened theater critic. Yeah. Um, and the, the way that the, the way that the theater community views the film community. Yes. Is very accurate. Yeah. Like she just, it's like you think you're coming in from Hollywood and is, you can be here. It's like you haven't done anything. Well, it's like what Edward Norton says to him. You know, it's like you can go out there and if, you, and if this doesn't work for you, it doesn't matter. You go back to your fucking castle. But you know, like, uh, but years from now, I'll still be here on that stage bearing my soul. Yeah. And I'm having actual boners. As wanky as that sounds, that is quite accurate. You yeah. know, like, and. And also, yeah, actors are wankers. And it's not so much. And I mean, like, you can't really talk about it so much here. But over there, it's not just um, a professional thing. It's a geographical thing. Yeah, East you Coast, know, West Coast. You know, East Coast, West Coast. You know, it's like uh, theater is New York, film is L.A., and it's a very different mindset. And L.A. is crazy. Yeah, well, so, so is New York. But, it's and, just, but, it's but, just, but Regan is crazy. Yes, Regan is crazy. So there's a, there's a weird thing that goes on through it where he's like, he has Birdman, the character's voice, talking to him, which is his Batman voice. Yeah. And he's constantly moving things with his mind. Yeah, yeah. And it's just it just builds. I mean, I understand the the, the drum, the percussion, the drum draws throughout. Like when it gets to its 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 frenetic peak, it's like it's obviously a metaphor for his state of mind and how stressed out he is. Like he gets locked out accidentally when he goes for a smoke and he's just fucking tidy whities and just has to run through fucking Times Square. And yeah. it's it's a hilarious scene. And we should also mention. Um, okay, good, good, wish me luck on this one. Um, Alejandro Gonzalez Inaratu. Yes. Um, directs the whole thing as in it's a single shot. So they do like, you know, they do the obvious. You can see, if you know movies, you've seen the cheats. Yeah. You know, it's like a Hitchcock's rope or whatever. It make, they do like, you know, it zooms in on someone's back and then obviously it's another take. But there are a lot of incredibly long takes. Yes. Um, and it's like walking through the, the theater, like there's a great sense of space and it's following the actors. And is that weird, you know, a, you know, Birdman pops up at one point and starts talking to him. And I, I found some of that stuff actually more distracting. Well, I mean, I think the whole thing with when Birdman actually turns up, it does take you a while to adjust because it's quite late in the film. Mm. Um, and you've gotten used to the sort of device that is just a VO. In his head, yeah. Uh, so by the time you actually see him, I won't call it a distraction, but it does take a slight adjustment. It didn't bug me. And, but it, it didn't bug it, me. It, 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 see, it's a metaphor for a breakdown. Yes. In a way. No, I mean, there's, I mean, the thing about this movie is that there's a lot of, there's a lot of things going on. Yeah. Um, you know, all the way down to the incredibly make up your own mind ending. Yes. You know, um, which I was not so happy about. Well, I mean, but, but that's, but that's, that's exactly the reaction that they want. Mm. You know, I mean, they want that ending to divide people. You don't do an ending like that, oh, wanting everyone to get it. Yeah, yeah. You know, but I mean, and, but, and, but, but I mean, like, there's multiple gets they have. With exactly. Mate, which yeah, I, I mean, but there's multiple gets to have throughout the entire film. Yeah. You could view it as just a very straightforward story about an actor who's trying to reclaim his soul. Like if I, could, know, if I could, or it could be a metaphor for just 
you know, like uh, everything. Yeah, you know. Or you could take it that during the final perform, the, the last performance before the event. Yeah, like that is his last performance, if you know what I'm yes, saying. Yes, yes. Like that's a way of taking it as well, and that beyond that is another thing. Yes, yes, yes. But you know. Inception has it's an it's an A or B ending, right? Yes, yes. I felt this is just like, well, you haven't quite earned it. I mean, I was slightly disappointed with that, and also oh, that fucking dance. But <laughs> but I mean, I, I I did enjoy. I mean, the performances are fantastic. Yes, uh, plot it's a well due for uh, everyone involved. Yes, um, I am very. I mean, like, uh, I, I I cannot fault any anyone involved in were this. You I mean, tense watching it. Yes, because I was like, you know, when he smokes the joint. I was very tense. You know, when he smokes the joint. I was thinking. It's just that kind of movie that he could end up burning down the fucking theater. Yeah, and yeah. having to deal with that. I was very tense watching it. Um, I, I th- and, and also, like another thing that it hit me on a personal level is that all of the things that happened to him are your very, very typical actor nightmares. Mm. Having a having a hard on on stage, having a fucking having a having purposeful one, hard on on stage. Having, he's, that's, he's not worried about that. Yeah, it's yeah. fucking yeah. sitting out there. It's like one having having an actor just sort of freak out on stage. I mean, like these are all personal nightmares that every actor has had. And director, you know, I mean, every actor and director has had. And watching it, I was horrified because you know what you 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 know. It's like it's your worst nightmares yeah. coming to life. This is your dream project, and this. Fucker keeps you know, messing around. It's, we should go. I think we should say Naomi Watts is great in it. Like again, it's weird that like because they keep talking about like can we get Jeremy Renner and stuff like that. It's surprising it wasn't just Ed Norton. Yeah. In a way, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah and yeah. That, Naomi Harris is playing like I'm finally on Broadway. I've done this bullshit, and she's got this great. Like, everyone has a great story. Everyone too, has though. a everyone has a great moment. Yeah. Everyone. Like uh, Edward Norton and uh, Emma Stone have two beautiful scenes on the balcony upstairs. On, on the balcony upstairs that are very nicely yeah. done. And. You know, it's like I said before, it's like Edward Norton hasn't been this good in years. I mean, like, that's that's actually unfair. Edward yes. Norton's always good, yeah. you know, but there's... He was the bomb in the Hulk. He's great. I mean, Edward Norton's great in everything. I don't always like the film, yeah. but I always like him. Um, but there, but he, he seemed... There, there was something very electric about him in this one. Yeah. And, uh, and Not only the fact that he... Is he in his underpants or is Kevin... Or is uh, Kevin? Is uh, Michael Keaton in his underpants when they have the fight? Uh, he's in his underpants. Yeah, yeah. This is which is great. This is great. It's, like, it's, it's the camera just pans over to see stagehand just looking at them. It's and the, the back. it's it's the best it's the best fight since Hugh Grant and Colin Firth fought in uh, Bridget Jones. Where, Bal- where Gaius Baltar ran into a restaurant and said, "Fight, <laughs> fight, fight!" <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I mean. I mean, I, I mean, I can't recommend yeah. this movie. There's, enough, a, there's, a, mean, there's, I, a, there's a clip they have played, which I think is very good. Um, it's, they played it on the publicity already, so it's the one where he's talking about. You know, he just he's had one of his freakouts, things going badly. He walks into his um, dressing room. Emma Stone is there, and she's like, "Is everything going okay?" He's like, "Oh, you know, it's going okay." You know, I mean, the, 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 this play has just become like a small version of me with a tiny hammer. It's just hammering away at my balls. <laughs> And it's not played for last, it's played for like genuine like yeah. this is him yeah. elucidating how fucked up his life is getting. Yeah. You know, I, I um there were so many things, so many moments in this film, things that he said which uh, resonated with me very strongly because they are every actor's worst nightmare. Yeah. You know, and uh and directors again because it's again, yeah. the director thing is like how the it's like hurting cats. Yeah. And I and I and I do feel I need to see it again because the first, you know, like w- watching it the first time I was very enraptured by a lot of the stuff that, that I didn't really think too much about what I was... I didn't really think too much about what that meant or what this meant, you know, because anytime a movie comes out about the theater that's done so well and actually is um, 
very perceptive. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it's like I tend to sort of like latch onto those moments a lot. And so because of that, I do feel I need to see it again because, um, you know, it was just, I'm sure that I missed a lot of stuff. And it is the kind of movie that, that can benefit from repeat viewings. You have theater blinders. A little bit, because it's fucking Troy from Troy and Abbott playing the drums the whole fucking time, right? Yeah, yeah. and that's they never linger on him. Like you only notice if you spot it off the corner of your eye. Yeah, but um, but yeah, I mean, I, I like I said, I can't recommend the movie enough. Um, uh, Alejandro Gonzalez uh, Inaratu, he's uh, he's famous for directing uh, Babel. Uh, he also directed um, Twenty One Grams. He's changed his name to something like, just like G Interactive. It's like uh, Amores, Amores Peros or so. Is, uh, Amores Peros is great. Yeah. I saw that in the Irish Film Centre back in Dublin and was like, ah. That's yeah. the one with uh, Gael Garcia. Yes, yes. Barnas? Yes. Barnal. Barnal. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, he's an amazing director who's. Um, I mean, he, his next film is called The Revenant with Tom Hardy and Leonardo DiCaprio. This is a shot of uh, Tom Hardy with his sniper rifle, right? Or something. Oh, it's uh, Le- it's uh, Leonardo DiCaprio looking like Christian Bale mm. with all the. <laughs> so yeah, um, go see this movie. Go, cool. go see it. All right, quick review of Black Hat before we get to the time travel fun. Um, so Black Hat is Michael Mann's latest movie. Um, some hacker destabilizes some things, and the uh, in China. Oh, it's a nuclear plant, and the the Chinese guy investigating it recognizes the code. It's a remote access tool was used to access it that himself and his college dorm buddy, uh, Chris Hemsworth, Nick Hathaway, Nick Hathaway um, worked on together. So he kind of gets... It's the such a movie name, isn't it? Nick Hathaway? Nick Hathaway. I don't know. I kept thinking, what is love? That was Hathaway, wasn't it? Yeah. It's, it's always these things like, you know, in the trailer where they always feel the need to mention like the guy's full name. Yeah. Like, Nick Hathaway's a man in jail. It was supposed to be a routine drive-by. Yeah. <laughs> but for Detective Nick Hathaway. Yeah. <laughs> So it's his college roommate, and they think if they can, if he, if he wrote, well, he, he only worked on it a bit, but the other guy did most of it. So he got to get the Chinese to work with the US to get Nick out of jail because he done fucked up back in the past. Then he did some hacker shit, and he, I think he got kicked out of college for hacker shit, and then he did some more hacker shit, and that got him in jail. Right. Um. So they got to chase down the hacker. Yeah. So it's kind of like a little bit more IT Bond, uh, IT James Bond, I guess. Right. Um. Which the trailer suggested enough. Yeah. Um. I mean. One of the big problems with any of these hacking movies is trying to make hacking look good because you're just sitting at your, pro- your computer typing a program for fucking hours at a time and then hitting enter and nothing happening. Yeah. Um, or hitting run, sorry. Control off run. But um, <laughs> technically I had no problems with this. They actually do a few things that were technically correct. Like all the tools are correct and all that kind of stuff. But um, and, you know, Hathaway will get his uh, release if he helps him out. So Fiola Dallas and uh, what's that guy's name? Uh, it's not John Ortiz. I think it's... What's his name? Your review. I know. Holt Holt McCallany. (laughs) You know who Holt McCallany is. You've seen him in all sorts of things. He's always background thuggish guy. So they're his his minders and they got to do it going to jet setting trip around Hong Kong, uh, Malaysia, uh, mainland China. Yes, I know this guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's the dude from Fight Club. Yeah, so like Michael Mann, Michael Mann has, you know, Michael Mann's, it's like, you know, Dylan's gone electric, Michael Mann's gone digital, right? He's got that, like, collateral vibe all that shit, right? So, the beginning of this movie, the editing and shooting is incredibly distracting. It's just, it feels like it was, like, they were, I mean, maybe it's, it's maybe it's because they were shooting in Hong Kong, I don't know, but they, it feels rushed. And, like, there's one scene that seems like it was added for Chinese audiences, but it makes no sense for how that to happen. Like, they have to go visit the nuclear plant, told they can't go in so they can go in later. And the next scene after that, it looks like they just met for the first time again. Mm-hmm. 
So there's weird little inconsistencies like that. Um, Michael Mann's great, but I mean, it does. There's a scene in a Korea, Koreatown uh, restaurant, and that's where it starts. Like the camera work settles down, the story settles down, it kind of moves on a bit. I should, oh, sorry, full disclosure. I thought I might be in this movie because I'm an extra in one of the scenes, but that 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 fucking twelve hour ordeal turned out to be less than thirty seconds in the movie. <laughs> so, but when that scene happens, my and Michael Mann does Paul Greengrass. Oh, really? Yeah, like there's a scene where like you see, you know. Thor knocks over a dude and the camera follows him so you see his head clearly land squarely on a really fucking hard wooden counter and fall off dead as a fuck. Uh-huh. When it comes to the action scenes in this, the music disappears. Mm-hmm. The sound mix comes up and you like every bullet is like a fucking... It's like it's hitting your eardrums. Like It's like a bullet in your eardrums. Mm-hmm. What are you reading? <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, like the sound design yeah, of those yeah. scenes is amazing. Like there, there's a shootout near a load of shipping containers and those bullets, like those shipping containers are no cover. They're just ripping through them and you can hear every rip. Those scenes are amazing. But the movie itself is like so-so. Right. It's just not that engaging. Viola Dales gets, gets some great humorous lines I mean a more humor or more kind of snappiness might have helped mm-hmm. but it's just so dour and badly edited for the first half when it gets going in the second half you kind of pass caring mm-hmm. and even though you're sticking with it it's really like huh? not huh? not it's not a confusing ending it's just like and then they walk through a door kind of ending right it's like uh, really that's it I see yeah uh, so it's it's very disappointing especially for Michael Mann um, well like, it bombed big yeah Massively. No, it's. I mean, the the the, the set pieces sound like a good idea on paper, like having the final shootout at a, a Indonesian um, festival. Yeah, it's cool. When the reveal of the hacker comes, you're like, "Who's that fat dude?" You know, this is this, <laughs> Michael Mann is the one who put Al Pacino and fucking Robert De Niro against each other. Yeah. If it was someone of that caliber, you're did, like, no, did the did it properly? Yeah. Yeah. Like, if it was someone of that caliber, you'd be like, "Oh, fucking!" If it was Leonardo DiCaprio, you'd be like, "Jesus, yeah, he's evil mastermind." But like, it's not. It's just some dude I've never seen before. And you're like, what? Okay, I guess. Why do I care anymore? You know, it, it, the Bond comparison is apt because you need to have a good villain, right? Yeah. You know, if it was, what's his name? Haircut from the last Bond movie. Harvey Bardem. Yeah, that's the one you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> if it was, if it was him, you'd be like, oh, the guy okay. with the fiberglass hair. Yeah. yeah. If he's a bad guy, funny haircut. Yeah. That's the rules. You gotta have rules. Liz Hurley, Curly Whirly. There you go. Yeah. So, yeah, it's very disappointing. Yeah. Um, We're in Bonnie. Yeah. Bonnie Rubble. Trouble. Trouble. <laughs> nice tin of fruit, mate. Um, and uh, having watched it with Tony Petra, who was production assistant on it. Like, oh, you he, watched it with him? Yes. Oh, God. We had an entire row. He must have been, he must have been squirming in his seat. Well, no, we had, we, had, we, had, we had an entire row. So we had the catering manager. We had a VT guy. Benji was working the VT on the, the scene we shot. Uh, was the, Tony involved in the film? Tony was a production assistant. Like he's a photo of him with Michael Mann on his Facebook. And oh like, shit! He must have jizzed in his pants for that one. Yeah, because and, and, and leading up to the release, okay, he's, he's built up his entire filmmaking career around Michael around Mann. Michael Mann. <laughs> I mean, I mean, when at the end he brought a friend of an actor, a friend of his, he said he's a Mann fan as well. I was like, is he gay? Oh, Michael Mann. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I think I was talking to you the following week with yeah, with our with our with our mutual friend. Yes, yes, yes. And that night he was like defending it. But the following day, when he talked to our mutual friend, he was like, "Yeah, it was good." Yeah. I think it took him a while to sink in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. he was crushed. And like, as we walked, we walked, we saw in KSC, and as we walked out, he's like, "Guys, 
so the the, dining, the 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 dinner restaurant, the nightclub scene in Hong Kong, that's it. That doesn't there, and the nuclear power plant scene, the car park is just over behind these buildings here. It's oh, like I wish I could have been there, man. Oh, oh I wish I could have been there. I would have talked so much shit. Because his Facebook, I mean, we love you, Tony, but his Facebook page was leading up to this. He was posting like stuff about Manhunter and fucking everything. He was just he was so up for it, and it's like, oh, see the guy, he just his heart shrunk two inches, two sizes. <laughs> but I think. <laughs> It's unfortunate. I love it. But I, but I mean, the, the, when I was on set was the last shot, right? The last day of shooting. And the crew were ragged. Yeah. And they must have had issues earlier in the day. And I'm thinking some of that Hong Kong shit didn't go there one or because that's why it feels rushed. Right. So. And oh, Amelia Chen was there as well. And she, from Geeks in Malaysia. And she pointed out that like, the chopper they're flying around Hong Kong and she just started laughing. She would just like laugh and make weird noises the whole way through the movie. She was laughing her ass off. I was like, what? It's like, the Chinese on the helicopter says Hong Kong tourism flights. <laughs> it wasn't like a copper chopper, but they hadn't redressed it as a police right, chopper. Right, 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 right. It was like it's a tourist flight. Oh, man. Yeah. But, I mean, I would say those, those two action scenes is worth skipping ahead to watch right. because they're visceral and great. Yeah. And if Michael Mann does, like, a Bourne movie, that'd be amazing. That'd be amazing. Okay. But, yeah, look great. Cool. All right, I'm going to follow it up with Almanac, then we can talk about the good time travel movie this week. All right. Project Almanac is a bad time travel movie. Bad time travel. Um, so some ki- this, is, this is a fan footage movie. It's produced by Michael Bay. It's directed by Dean Israelite, who hasn't done anything else much. And um, it has a load of nobodies in it that we've heard of. And a load of teenagers are just videoing shit. And uh, it's like, David is the main character. He's, um, they spend far too long telling you how smart he is. He's trying to get into MIT and they show that by like, he's got a, a control scheme for quadcopters and drones. Do you use glo- your hands and you need gloves running? The camera just follows you and you can run around and use all this shit. Right. So they sell all this stuff. He wants to get into MIT. He gets into MIT, but you got to pay more money than you can have. His mom's going to sell the house, all this kind of shit. And it's all found footage. Right. And then he's digging around the attic for one of his dad's projects. His dad was an engineer who died trying yeah. to get the car crash. And he's digging around for a project thinking it's something he can reuse or something he can enhance upon. When they happen across an old camcorder and it has a seventh birthday party. And when they're looking through it, he's like, what the fuck? Did you see that? This is a big problem with the movie. There's a lot of, did you see this going on? And it's 17 year old him at his seventh, seventh uh, birthday party caught in, reflected in the mirror. Right. So like, what? And they're like, well, they figure out where was he going? He's to the basement. They go to the basement. They find a glass circuit, which is the guts of a time travel machine, not a time travel machine. But they're smart, as the movie's told us for the first half hour, repeatedly. So they make it. So they make the time travel machine. And then they start fucking around. And to be fair, they do do what teenagers would do. They go back for the days where they got pissed off by someone else. They got picked on by the popular kids. They fuck with the popular kids. Guy fails a chemistry class. They go back and sort of the chemistry class. Uh, they didn't get to go to Lollapalooza. They go to Lollapalooza. Because they, they have a slow day. They just go back to Lollapalooza, pop back, type the next class. But the problem with this is, and with all great time travel movies, you have a set of rules. Mm. This movie seems to set out its stall with a set of rules, but then, like, logic, you have to have, like, you're, you're, we don't know what happens if you go back and kill your father. We don't know, right? Yeah. But your movie needs to have an opinion on what that is. Yeah. The problem with this movie is that they go back in time to the same moment over and over again. Like, this chemistry class is an example of it. One of, their char- one of the characters is, uh, I think there's, there's three guys and two girls. One of the guys wants to do his test again, but he keeps fucking it up because when he goes back, like, they intercept the past version of him so there's not two of him running around yep. because when the two people from this, two, pe- two of the same people meet from different times, there is a weird feedback effect which seemed like it was going somewhere interesting. Mm. But when he walks in, 
he keeps fucking it up by answering the question before it's asked so therefore the teacher asks him another question so they have to keep going back but when they go back to that moment in time the version of them that went back previously mm-hmm. isn't there right it's like you know Marty McFly goes back yeah, to yeah, 1995 yeah, yeah, yeah. again yeah. but you know the 1980s version of Marty McFly is still running around not 1990s version mm-hmm. right they have to avoid himself they don't do that and that's like a real core thing for your time travel movie. You've got to address what happens if you go back to the same time over and over again. There should be piles of them lying around. Mm-hmm. And it later becomes the kind of centerpiece of the third act where the main character, David, goes back to a point that he fucked up a relationship, a romantic thing with some of the other time travelers. And he goes back to a point where he fixes it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there's no sign of the earlier him. Right. But then the third act is, is kind of also based around two versions of the same character do meet. There's right. a paradox there. Right. So it's like you're having your cake and trying to eat it. So they're not, they're not, they don't, es- they don't establish the rules and, but yet they rely on rules that are, they, they rely on like pre-established rules to like try and finish up their story without yeah. establishing what's actually going on. Yeah. Because, and there's also an element of the butterfly effect in that like they went to this thing. So therefore, this which, I, which but bringing that up, I feel that that is an underrated film. The moment where Ashton Kutcher wakes up and he's got no arms and legs, Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I, I enjoyed the butterfly effect. Yeah. Yeah. So. It isn't, it's not as good as that. Like, this, like, this thing's like, well, you know, this thing happened, so therefore this kid didn't make the homecoming game, so therefore his dad, as a pilot, wasn't, was flying a plane, he shouldn't have been in that plane, crashed, and then these people died, and all that shit. But the more I thought about it afterwards, it's like, it niggles at you. This does not do time travel properly. You right. have to, these are the, these are the, the answers you have to sort out in your first draft. Right. What happens when two people meet each other at the same time? What ha- if you go back to the same moment in time, what happens to the earlier version of you? Because you don't go back to that point a second time if the first version didn't fuck up. So where the fuck is that first version? Yes. So it got more and more annoyed. It annoyed me more and more to the point where I'm like, fuck this movie. The found, it's all found footage and which they also have the kids are constantly like, hey, over here, dude, look at this. Oh my God, look at this. Oh my God, look at this. Oh my God. 80% of the dialogue is, look at this. Yeah. And it's incredibly annoying. <laughs> and, they don't do what Chronicle did, which was to take the found footage to like show someone throwing a bus at somebody. Yeah. The time travel effect is just the camera goes a bit weird. It's like a, I think it's a probably a, a pre, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a preset filter in After Effects. Right. It's bullshit. Right. So the result is you did this in found footage because you're cheap fuckers. So yeah, fuckers. I hate this movie. Fuck it. Good time travel movie. Predestination. Uh, Predestination is the uh, latest film by uh, the uh, Spirit Brothers, Michael and Peter Spirit, who directed um, the underrated vampire film Daywalkers. Yeah. Uh, what was the other one they directed? Un- the Undead. The Undead. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Daywa- they reunite with their Daywalker star, uh, uh, Ethan Hawke. And um, this is based on the uh, Robert A. Heinlein short story, All You Zombies. Mm. Uh, so Ethan Hawke stars with uh, Sarah Snook, who is amazing. Yes, uh, they both are. I mean, yeah. uh, Ethan Hawke and Sarah Snook are amazing. Sarah Snook gets a, she's getting a little bit more play because she's a new face, and also because technically her role is the harder role. And she's doing capital A acting, as in here's prosthetics. We're making a pretty girl look ugly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Noah Taylor, who uh, played the young Jeffrey Rush in uh, Shine, uh, and he was tech support in Vanilla Sky, right? Yes, yes. Uh, but this is an Australian film, uh, financed uh, Australia, uh, financed by Austra- by the Australian Film Commission, and also it was filmed in Australia. Mm. Um, basically, it is about a time traveling agent played by Ethan Hawke. Yes, um, careful now. Yeah, it's a time <laughs> it's a time traveling agent who is uh, looking for a terrorist known as the Fizzle Bomber. Yes, um, and the, when when the movie starts, um, every time they try and go back and prevent one of his bombings, 
it comes back. It comes back, or it comes. Another one happens. It's bigger and yeah, worse. Bigger and in a different yeah. in a different place. So he keeps changing it. He's aware of their methods. Yeah. He's aware of their methods, and that makes him incredibly difficult to find. But Ethan Hawke is hot on the trail. But there's an implied backstory in that it's not just the fizzle bomber he's worked on. Yes. There has been other cases between yes. the beginning of the movie and the three-quarter point of yes. the movie where there's a realization happens. So there's this sequence in the uh, beginning of the film where he's after the fizzle bomber. He comes close to catching him. Um, and uh, but the fizzle bomber, uh, uh, he manages to defuse the bomb just in time, but he gets some of the after effects of the explosion, and he's uh, basically burnt beyond recognition, and he has to uh, have reconstructive surgery to change his face. And then when he changes his face, he's Ethan Hawke, and yeah. that's and that's uh, Ethan Hawke's uh, because he's to very the badly burnt. Yes, he's very badly burnt. <laughs> um, and then after that. Ethan Hawke um, goes, goes back in time. Goes back in time to New York City. Where to meet this dude. Yeah, where he's working at a bar and he meets this dude. And That's his mission is to work in the bar. Yes. Um, and, he's, and he has this uh, conversation with this person and this person starts to tell their story. And they, they, and they make a bet. They make a bet. And it's about how these two... Can I, whose story is the more fucking crazy? Yes, yes. And um, to tell you any more... Is really fucking is, hard. Is really very difficult. I mean... the This is a movie that... It's an Ouroboros loop. Yeah. It's a snake eating its tail. But it's in a very clever way. Like uh, the the comparison made to, Predest- uh, to Project Almanac is that they've no fucking rules. This is a movie that has set out some rules, but you don't know what they are till the very end. And when they do reveal it, it's like aha. Yes, exactly. But even with that, there is an element of uh, ambiguity slightly at the end. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> You're like, has this fucked up this person's this other person so much? Yeah. That they will do the thing they yeah. think they're supposed to do, yeah. or they won't. Yes. And it's a very enticing end. It's very, it's very clever how they do it. And they have a very cool time travel machine. Yes. It's a fucking violin case. It's a violin case. It's very, very cool. Um, what I, I mean, what I love about this film is that there's a chance you may guess some stuff, and you, and if you guess correctly, you may feel clever. Yeah. But that's just the beginning of the guesses you need to make. Yeah. It's it's a it's a film that. You think that the film is showing you its hand. Yes. And even if you guess that hand correctly, there's another five hands you haven't guessed. Yeah. And that's what I really loved about it. It's a really good poker face. It's a really, really uh, very, very cool film. What did you text me after you saw that you're still thinking on it, right? Or something? You know, it was like, like, you you were saying, like, uh, I told you that I'm going to be, I have uh, predestination to review. And you said, yeah, I'm thinking of catching that tomorrow. And I was like, catch it. I'm very impressed by it. And I didn't hear from you. And then the next message I got from you was, so was I. <laughs> <laughs> very impressed. You know, um, and it was, it's this thing where it's, I, I mean, like, the one thing I kept, I was watching it with, uh, with the wife and, you know, she passed out, you know, but I, but I, she kept waking up because I kept going, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then she saw it and then she's like, Explain it to me. <laughs> oh god, because you missed out on shit. Because there's a there's a character, and some of the shit that happens to that character is beyond fucked up. Yeah, it's beyond fucked up, and it's fucking amazing. The scene where Sarah, Sarah Snook gets her choice. Yes. When it's presented to her yes. face to face. Yes. Fucking. It's like it's like when it happened, you're just like, oh my. That was the first Jesus. That yeah. was the first Jesus of the, like, and then. And then I think there were another four or five Jesus Christ after that. You're just like, Jesus Again, having, I, I can't remember what the movie was. A while ago I said something about, like, it's a Twilight, I think it was Interstellar, it might have been. It's like, it's a Twilight Zone episode, you know. If you if you watch the Twilight Zone, you get a hinting already. Yeah, yeah. I was hinting a lot on this. My hinty, my, my, my Twilight sense was tingling all the way fucking through this movie. Yeah. But it should be said, 
It's based on Heinlein. Heinlein wrote in the 60s or something, right? Yeah. And, I mean, the, the, I actually, I barely heard the All You Zombies line. Um, because they have a mission. They have a mission. Um, but there's a, there's, there's, there's like a, they've created a beautiful world. Cause the whole thing in it doesn't exist in the real world. The yeah. whole space core. And like some of those scenes, Sarah Snook is fantastic at showing pure fucking joy after being pure fucking miserable for so much of her life. Like, you feel bad for her. Yeah. It's like Mondo came up with this amazing, uh, predestination poster. Um. That's shit hot! That's shit hot. <laughs> Uh, but you know, and, but they've yet to release it. And oh, really? And there's no release date. Shit. So you don't know. But it's like fucking a. I want this fucking poster. Yeah. Um, but, but no. I mean, I was just. It, it, it was just. Uh, I I had heard good things about it. Yeah. But I was just completely unprepared for how good it actually was. Mm. Um. The the intric the intricacy of the writing. Yes. Is amazing, and that's and the editing, and that's, the way they decide because there's the scene on the park bench. Yes, so there's, there's two scenes on the park bench, but the later, yeah. chrono chronologically speaking, one yeah. like their reaction, the way they explain what's going on. Yeah, I love her too. Yeah, yeah, and, and even the interaction at the very end. Yeah, it's like we can be together. Yeah, it's, it's creepy as fuck, but also totally makes sense in yeah. the context of everything you've seen so far. And we're the, really good at talking around this. And the two central performances are just amazing. Ethan Hawke and Sarah Snook. It's are, pretty much a, a double under. That's yeah. quite. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 it's one of the best science fiction time travel films I've seen in a while. Yeah. So I would highly recommend this film. Yeah, me too. I was very impressed by it. And I can't wait to see what the Spirit Brothers do next. Someone told me they were doing something, but I don't know what it was. Yeah. And I can't find it online. But anyway, check it out. So we've been Yep and Fries. Thanks for listening to us. Top 10s are no longer available because we can't get them online anywhere from Malaysia. But give the US one, but fuck it, we need Malaysia as well. Um, again, if you've made it this far, thank you very much. Um, we're on Twitter, Facebook, Stitcher app as well now. I'll see if I can add some more apps. I've heard another Pocket Cast app that some people are interested in. So, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Okay, bye.